so I, I just realized the game that I was talking about is not Ultimate Chicken Horse. That is a different game. Now I can't remember the name of the game that I'm talking about. Well, it led us down an interesting path, Josh. All right, let's do this one last time. Welcome to Board Game Box Office, a Table Knots podcast about board games, movies, and all the space in between. I'm Kyle, and with me today is a man who thinks COVID memes are still relevant, Josh, as well as Kenny, who strongly considered buying Marvel Zombies at retail so he didn't have to wait a few months. Today, we're diving into the multiverse as we discuss the 2018 film Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse starring Jake Johnson, Shamik Moore, and Haley Steinfeld as well as Marvel Champions and other Marvel-themed games. Before we get into that, we'll talk about the games we've been playing and the movies we've been watching. Josh, what you been playing lately? Coronavirus! Coronavirus! <laughs> you guys you guys remember the Cardi B? Cardi B doing that? <laughs> Who was Cardi B? We're uh, the olds, Josh. I don't know. Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah, I forgot. I'm the babby among, amongst you guys. Whatever. We'll, we'll move past it. So the biggest game for me that um, I've tried out recently is Bullet Heart. And I got to say, I think that Level 99 might be my favorite game publisher. I know that... Uh, that's, a, that's a shocker. <laughs> <laughs> I really hadn't played a lot of their games before until recently. But, you know, in the Table Knots house, we've been loving Imperial... And granted, it's only March at the time of recording this, but Bullet Heart so far is my favorite new-to-me game this year. Uh, for those who have been living under a rock like me, Bullet Heart is a real-time puzzle game reminiscent of Tetris or Poyo Poyo. You play three-minute rounds where you place tiles in your bag and you use your action points to manipula- manipulate your board to create patterns that will allow you to clear tiles from your board and send them to your opponent's bag uh, for future rounds. But, you know, everything about it from, like, its Japanese animation-inspired art aesthetic to its exciting gameplay to it even has a killer soundtrack. It pushes, like, all of the right buttons for me. Like, it's just, it's fun. You know, it's There's just There's a soundtrack? Fun. Yes. So, um, if you go on YouTube and you type in, like, Bullet Heart, it has the three-minute timer for the rounds. And it has Ooh. the different characters. And each character has their own soundtrack, almost reminiscent of, like, like fighting game characters' soundtracks. Um, and they're all so good. Oh, that sounds pretty cool. Kenny, have you yeah. have you played Bullet Heart? No, I haven't played it yet. Uh, it's on Max's shelf a lot, uh, but I've not tried it out. But I want to do an anime check on this, okay. Josh. Uh, are there giant mechs? There are not. Um, at least I don't, actually no. There, there is one. <laughs> um, so every playable character if you flip their player mat around there is like a boss version of them because there's a solo mode and a co-op mode where you play against the game and one of them does in fact have a giant robot okay anime check number two <laughs> are there schoolgirls in short skirts i i don't know about uh the short skirt specifically i i will say that this version um the the dress is is respectable i have heard that there's a version of it called bullet orange that's a little more spicy um but you this think is bullet heart would be the spicy one you would you know if you were just going by the by the titles um but no i feel like it's pretty it, it's not too anime okay, okay last one is there a brooding character who has like a hair covering half of their head? There's some characters that brood. There's some angst. <laughs> that could also describe every character on the OC, which was a great show in the early aughts. Did what does that stand for? Uh, I didn't watch that Orange one. Orange County. Oh, okay. <laughs> Were you born when that movie, when that show came uh, out? What year? 
It was like 04 to 06. Mm. Mid 90s. 04 to 06. Oh. Of course I was born then. <laughs> oh man, I thought that was like mid 90s, huh, man? Uh, yeah. Kenny might have been too old for that show. <laughs> Maybe. Probably. Too old for SpongeBob. That's why I've learned lately. lately uh, which so. is a shame because it's great. All right, so I won't gush as much about this next game, but me and Doolin did start playing that time you killed me. Um, it's a 1v1 King of the Hill chess-esque game where you battle for control over three locations, which are three separate points on a timeline. Past, present, future, and the things you do in one timeline affect the other timelines as well. Um, there are five different scenario boxes that you unlock as you... Um, as you go and they have different pieces and rule sets and we've only played the first so far so i haven't got like super into it i don't know what all it has to offer but i do know that in future scenarios you actually start to mix rule sets from the different scenario boxes which is pretty cool so i played this uh also fairly recently it was a couple months ago my friend bought it on a whim and um i did not like it at all you didn't like uh, it at all? Not really. Um, the theme is this, the theme is super cool. Like I love the whole time travel aspect, and but we just realized like you just it's so easy to play to a draw. It's almost like tic tac toe. It's I mean, it and it was a point to where like uh, my friend was playing much better than me. Um, but when it got down to like two or three versus one, like he just I could always be like two steps ahead of him, and it was just like us back and forth doing the same moves. Um, so. We didn't play with any of the expansion modules or anything like that. Like you mentioned, the five boxes. So like maybe that changes stuff up a bit and it makes the game better. But yeah, my my plays of it a couple months ago, I was like, I, I really didn't want to return to it. Oh, yeah. I mean, if you just played the base game where it was just the pawns and nothing special, then I can totally see that. Me and Doolin, we didn't even play one full game of that. We got like three fourths through a game. Um, with just the base rules and then we're like okay let's see what the thing has to offer because immediately the first scenario box you get seeds and if you plant them um in like the past then one timeline forward they become like a spike bush and if you push them into that then they die and then in the next timeline they become trees that you can topple over and push into people okay so that sounds a little bit more interesting like there's a little bit more things to manipulate and that's actually like it's weird for games um, that have this like, hey, here's a basic set of rules so you can jump right into it. But the real game is like three games in. Um, right. I struggle with that because like I, I think it's great for people who are just like getting into the hobby and like don't play these like complex games. But as like like we want to play like how the game was meant to, to intended to be played, you know, and right. I think uh, first impressions matter, especially for us who play a ton of games and we're playing a ton of new games. And if you don't make an impression on me the first time I play it, then I'm never going to want to return to see what you else you have to offer, you know. Um, but I mean, it's cool that it does seem to get better. Um, maybe I will eventually return to it yeah. now. Now, I can't claim that it will be better that like it gets <laughs> I, I can claim it will be a little bit better you know but i i can't vouch for scenarios two three four five so i mean you could go from scenario one to two and be like well i mean this is different but not different enough to like make me happy for the game you know um but i think it's definitely worth revisiting at least one or two more times how long are the games um not too too long me and doolin played um like three rounds of scenario one probably between like 30 to 45 minutes like okay like combined bad. not each yeah 
All right, well, let's uh, let's stop over real quick and let's do a uh, BGG versus Rotten Tomatoes, um, which I did the standard fare, uh, but I also add a little twist after a second question on this. Okay. Okay. So first, I want you guys to tell me which is rated higher, uh, Bullet Heart on BGG or the movie Bullet Train starring Brad Pitt. <laughs> so... Bullet Train, I think it got pretty bad reviews, right? <laughs> I don't know. Have you seen it? No. I mean, it, it seemed like all flash, not subs, not, no substance, uh, but I agree. I'm going to guess Bullet Heart did better. It's better rated. So. All right. What, what numbers are you given? Oh, man. I'm going to give it 6 point, no, 7.7 for Bullet Heart and probably like a 58 for Bullet Train. Okay. Josh, do you have okay. a guess? So we're doing. We're doing tomato meter, right? Yeah, tomato meter. Okay. Are we doing audience score or are we doing critic score? Uh critic score. Wow. Okay. Very specific. Well, I think I've I've <laughs> I've talked to like anytime I've heard someone talk about this movie, like they haven't trashed it, you know. They've said like I've heard positive things about it. I and, agree. Like, it, right? I've heard it's a fun romp. And the way the tomato meter works isn't like a this much out of this much. It's like this percentage of people liked the movie. So I could see it getting like a pretty high, at least like audience score. Um, I do know I was looking up stuff about Bullet Heart earlier, so I do know that it's around the seven point four ish range. Um, I'm going to say that Bullet Train has it by two points. All right. Well, like like seven point six. Kenny was freakishly close. Oh so no! Bullet Heart <laughs> is a seventy, a seven point seven. So oh, he 7. nailed 7. that one. Mm. And Bullet Train is fifty four, and he guessed fifty eight. Wow! So Kenny, it's like I cheated. Did, <laughs> Kenny, did, did you? you cheat on this game? No, like, I don't care enough to do that. I was like, I don't so. know if I would respect you or not. Like, <laughs> I, I think I would love that. Um, all right. So here's the second question. Which is higher, the number of ratings for Bullet Heart on BGG or the number of deaths in Bullet Train? <laughs> oh, man. I do. Have you seen Bullet Train? I have not. Oh, okay. I, I do want to see. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. You didn't get this. You didn't have like little clicker counting the deaths. Okay. No, I did look this up. There was a, a lot of articles on it. Oh, wow. Hmm. I'm going to guess Bullet Train has more deaths. Okay. Yeah, I I feel like if the the fact that this question exists, uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. the fact that there are articles about the amount of deaths in Bullet Train, I would guess that that is the one with the more. Uh, so no, Bullet Heart does have more ratings. I was actually shocked by both numbers. So Bullet Heart has uh two thousand two hundred and eighty seven ratings, which oh, I thought wow. was high. Yeah, because like. It's not talked about a ton. I know um, So Very Wrong About Games uh, podcast has talked about it quite a bit, but you never hear anybody talk about Bullet Heart. Um, so I was surprised that number was high. But there is 1,400 deaths in Bullet Train. Oh, oh dang. I mean, I guess if like pe- an, an entire train's worth of people explode. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's you know, pretty much what it is. I, I was imagining like individual people's deaths that you see, but I mean, I'm not the body count of multiple trains exploding. That's, that's a little bit more reasonable. <laughs> 
<laughs> All right. Uh, Kenny, what have you been playing? Um, so I broke out a game that I've had for a while. Um, and this is a game. It's called Castell. It's published by Renegade Games. Um, I think I heard of it because from the Brothers Murph. Um, it's really like a Euro a Euro game with a this almost like, t- not, not, it's not even quite like tiling element. Uh, you're basically, so Castellers are basically the group of people who basically try to build the human towers, right? So like strong people at the bottom, light people on top. Let's see how high we can go. Um, and that's the basic idea of the game is you're trying to amass a group of Castellers that you're going to take to the different uh, regions in Spain. And you're trying to participate in these different festivals and um, uh, contests to build the highest tower that you can of humans, which sounds a little grim. We actually say it all out. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it sounds great. Yeah. But um, it, there's this, this element where you basically have like the core rule is that you can have three on the bottom, two on top, and then one on the very top, on the very top. Right. And the, the castellers are arranged from like n- numbers 10 to one. So one being the lightest, 10 being the heaviest. So you want the tens and the bottoms and so on. But you can have like the fives and the bottoms and have a three and then a one. Um, and so the base rule is that you can have a three, two, one, right? Um, but the, the the game wants you to build towers that are like ten wide on the bottom and then have it go up all the way up to like seven or eight levels, right? And that's the that's kind of the, the weird thing about the game because you basically have to get skills that break the core rules of the game so that you can build these complicated towers and um, build these combos with what you have. So it's really very brain burny, um, f- much more than I was expecting it to be. Um, and it really kind of scratched an interesting itch. And I've never played anything quite like it because you have to really con- consider like plan ahead and try to get the castellers that will work to um, build the tower that you want to build. Um, and then there's a lot of consideration with trying to go to the different areas so you can participate in festivals. Um, I, I think it's a game you would like quite a bit, Kyle. Have you, have you played Castell? I, I, I think I would too. No, I have not played it. So did you like it? It sounds like yeah, you liked sorry. it. Yeah, sorry. I liked it quite a bit. Um, yeah. Yeah, I think I would like it w- for a few reasons. One, I mean, it's like it seems like a Euro game, right? And I, I tend to enjoy Euro games. But it has a really interesting theme. Mm-hmm. Um, that's something like I had never even heard about, like the tower stacking the people stacking into a tower until this game came out. Um, so I, I do think I want to try this. This was like really hot when it came out. Like everybody was kind of talking about this game and I, I just went to BGG to check it out. Like this is the designer, Aaron Vanderbeek. It's his only game. Really? Huh. Um, to have something like that, like something that got that much like praise and like, obviously you played it and you liked it. And I, I respect your opinion. Like to have something like that, on your first design, it's just like really impressive to me. Yeah. And it's such like a, a unique design too. Like I've never played anything quite like it. And like when you factor in the theme too, it's, it's really, really quite something. So. Yeah. I just, it makes me think, have you heard of the video game ultimate chicken horse? <laughs> no, <laughs> no, no. <laughs> I think it's a, I think it's a similar thing where you're trying to, uh, to make it giant stacks of people in like goofy poses and whatnot. I mean, it's not the exact same. It has the, that castell theme. <laughs> no, I, so I'm, I'm not a big video gamer. Um, I just, I didn't realize like kind of how big indie video games were. Um, is that like a steam thing? Like when did the steam start getting popular and then people just started playing indie video games cause they were cheap or what was like, what's the deal with that? 
Yeah, I mean, I think around the time, because, you know, video games um, have only gotten more expensive. And just because they cost more doesn't mean that necessarily the quality is keeping up with the price. And then there are people that put out games like Braid, uh, Super Meat Boy, eventually Undertale, um, that are these great, like, masterpieces that people love. And so, like, platforms like Steam did, like, enable those to take off and people to publish games directly to people. Yeah, I mean, it's really cool. It's, like, it's not something I would, like, probably get into, but I think it's awesome that these, like, small indie video games are, like, as popular as they are. Yeah, I'd say, too, like, a lot of the big mass market games, like, the AAA games, like, they all started to kind of feel the same, too. Like, they all started taking on the same elements, like, open world or first-person yeah. shooters, multiplayer-focused. So I think, like, a lot of these indie games try to win to in a different direction to to get away from those tropes that were you were seeing a lot in um, the big games. So, so I, I just realized the game that I was talking about is not Ultimate Chicken Horse. That is a different game. <laughs> now I can't remember the name of the game that I'm talking about. <laughs> Well, it led us down an interesting path, Josh. Uh, yeah. Ultimate Chicken Horse. If Ultimate Chicken Horse was about people stacking up on each other, um, I'd be confused about the titling. But you know, they played it on the Game Grumps channel like ten years ago. <laughs> you could have to- not told us that because I believed you completely that oh, this is yeah. a thing. You like how we we didn't even blink. Yeah, you know, that's like <laughs> that's how like Josh could have told us literally anything, made up any game that he wanted to. He was like, oh, so it's about this video game from the '90s, uh, and we were like, yeah, cool, man. <laughs> yeah, but but someone is going to listen and be like, that that's nothing like Ultimate Chicken Horse. What are you talking about? So I just want to cover my butt now. No, the internet's usually pretty understanding. Yeah, that's so. true. Yeah. They're like, oh, he's doing his best. <laughs> <laughs> this is, they don't they don't have time to look stuff up. Like they they know yeah. everything off the top of their head. It's fine. All right, Kenny, what else you got? Uh, so the other game I've been playing, I've been playing a lot of games, but a game I've been we're close to finishing up is um, uh, Arkham Horror, The Edge of the Earth. Uh, this is the second to latest campaign in the Arkham Horror living card game series. Uh, it's basically kind of set in the uh, Mountains of Madness, um, Arkham, I mean, a Lovecraft story. Um, and so this is an interesting one. So if you don't know, Arkham Horror is, is basically this uh, campaign uh, I'd almost describe it as like an adventure game where you're kind of going through eight scenarios um, and using like a hand of cards, kind of like a Marvel or Marvel Champions again, we're going to be talking about later to um, play the game and manipulate, find combos and try to find maximum efficiency. Uh, but it's all done. Instead of Spider-Man, you got a guy in a fedora. So pretty good. Exciting. Yeah. Um, <laughs> It's Edge of the Earth is a really interesting one because this is the first one where they basically released the entire campaign in one go. Um, before this, you basically had to get like these little blister packs that had like, um, here's one scenario and try to find the rest to keep playing. Uh, but during the pandemic, they changed it to just one big campaign. And what's really interesting about that is you can really tell the the structure of the game changed completely with this box right usually you'd have like before like you basically play the scenario and you know it had to be confined to like what you could do with like one little blister pack right but with this like they're able to do much bigger scenarios like that kind of like build off each other and instead of a game that only lasts two hours it can go three four 
hours, right? Um, which, it, but they've got like good checkpoints built in so that you can kind of stop for the night. But um, it's been really good, like narratively too. Like it's such a, I, it's probably one of my favorite ones too. Um, just the way they, it's I, not to spoil it too much, but like it basically kind of made it feel like a Mass Effect game meets Arkham Horror. Ooh, so you're trying to... That sounds amazing. <laughs> yeah, so you, you basically have like a... Kind of like in the book, There's you basically have this crew of people around you, and you people are going to die, people are going to survive. Um, and so you're trying to talk to people and, if you know, build these relationships so that they can like kind of like level up and get stronger, um, try to, and, you know, maybe give you things, stuff like that. So it's really, really interesting from that aspect. Uh, yeah, and it, like it's really interesting too. Like this is one I think you could actually jump into. Um, if you're fairly new to Arkham, I think they've done a good job at keeping it the uh, difficulty pretty pretty balanced, and yeah, it's it's really quite good. So, sorry, I think I think Arkham Horror the card game is a game I respect more than I enjoy. <laughs> um, I I love what they do with the cards, and I haven't played it in a long time. Like I played it when they were doing the blister packs, and I played like the through the fir- first two rounds of it. An interesting like how they set up scenarios with the cards like one i really actually really liked playing was the one on the train mm-hmm. and like you're moving down train cars um that was like really interesting but like the bag pool uh i i really felt like to do like the skill checks it was like it was just so difficult to get anything and like i know uh these games are meant to be challenging and like i want that challenge but i don't want it to feel impossible and like when you have to have a skill check reach like eight and then like every uh, token in the bag is like negative four, (laughs) negative three. And you're only able to play so many cards because of the cost. Like it just seems so hard to even like get over some of those humps. Um, Yeah. It's, I, well, it is really hard, especially when you're starting off because I think a lot of people will default to like, Hey, to the, to the decks, the game says, Hey, build this. Um, I would say, do not build those decks. They're often terrible. Um, so that can make it even harder to like get into the game. Um, so I think like a, a getting an understanding of like how to build a good deck for each of the classes in Arkham Horror, it's really key to um, enjoying it from the get go. Um, like at this point, like we we're pretty good at building decks. We're playing like we're playing the different archetypes that so we don't really run into too many issues. Like there's still a definite challenge. The different there. Arkham types. Arkham, good job. I'm really, I'm really proud of you there. Um, <laughs> um, that was the first Jashism of the episode. I love it. First of many, I'm sure. Um, yeah, I'm just getting warmed up. <laughs> yeah, but I, the, I, I do think like Ed, the more you play it. I mean, this is true with anything, but the more you play it, the easier it gets. So um, you just gotta find the right people. You know, I, I love Arkham Horror. Um, it is. Kenny just said I was dumb. By the way, he was like, "You just gotta have that. You gotta be. You gotta have the right people." <laughs> low key, yeah, but uh, I, I didn't say it out loud. You know? No, it's. I mean, it's fine. I am dumb. So. <laughs> Arkham is also very hard too. So we're both right. You know. All right. So I'll my only that. experience with like the um, the LCGs is Marvel Champions. So with Marvel Champions, the the characters are all like the Marvel characters and those are like the big selling points as you get the different like characters. So do they have like characters like that or do the characters, are they campaign specific? How does no. that sort of aspect work? Um, so they're like kind of like in Marvel champions, there are like five different classes. Like you have a class that's built around killing stuff, class built around getting um, 
skill, uh, doing skill checks, stuff like that. Um, but there are just different characters from the Arkham, um, fantasy flights, Arkham verse, right? So, uh, there's, uh, Ashcan Pete, who has a dog named Duke. Um, there's, uh, Lola Hayes, who's an actress who can kind of float between the different, uh, abilities. So that's it is similar in that regard. Um, but I'd say the main difference between like Arkham versus Marvel champions is that like, there's a much stronger el- narrative element in Arkham horror. Like that's going to, you know, that I think is actually interesting and like, uh, thought provoking and like they actually built, there's a lot of branching paths within, um, the game. So like something you do in the first mission could have echoes later on in the game. Right. Like you're constantly having to write down like, Hey, um, write down that you did this, right. And maybe in mission six, that's going to pop up and affect how the story goes. Um, and beyond that, like, um, Marvel Champions is a bit nebulous and like in terms of like location. Um, in Arkham Horror, there's actually like a little map you build out and you have to kind of like move your characters around the map um, to fight monsters, get clues, stuff like that. So those are kind of like the big things. But like in other ways, they are very similar, especially like when you think about like card play um, and like managing your hand and stuff like that. That sounds really interesting. I, I think you would like it, Josh. Yeah. I don't think you would like it as much as Marvel Champions. Yeah. But it's been popular for a while. I think I bought Doolin a copy of that. And I think he also that same year received a copy of that for Christmas. And I don't think he ever played either of them. <laughs> yeah. It's, is it? It's a game I'd like to introduce to you guys, but it's just like it is a campaign. Like that's a, that's a big ask, right? But are there any like one shot scenarios that mm-hmm. like you could um, do as like an introductory game? Yeah, for sure. There's 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 a really one called the uh, Excelsior at the Murder Murder at the Excelsior Hotel that I think is actually a very good like one shot intro. So maybe that's something we can break out one night. That'll be fun. Yeah, absolutely. All right, and we got another BGG versus Rotten Tomato. Now I'm gonna preface this by saying the the one that's higher is gonna be very obvious. So getting the difference between the two is gonna be more of the game here. <laughs> um, and I do have an extra question after this one as well. So, what is rated higher, Castell on BGG or Lord of the Rings The Two Towers on Rotten Tomatoes? <laughs> ah, um, two different towers. I love it. <laughs> well, I'm going to guess I'm two gonna towers. I'm going to go on a limb here. Yeah. Agreed. And say The Two Towers is rated higher. Correct. You, you guys nailed that. But what is the difference between the two? All right, I'll I'll go first. I think Two Towers is probably like mid nineties, um, probably like ninety five. I would guess Castell is probably like probably seven point three. I I was thinking somewhere along the same lines. Like I Castell's probably in the seven. You guys said it got like a lot of praise, a lot of like people talking about it. So I'll go seven point. What was what was Bullet? We'll do seven point seven. All right. And what was uh, what do you think the Two Towers is? Um, we're going to go with a 93. Okay. So Josh wins this one. Um, Castell is rated a 7.4 or a 74 and the two towers, I, I would say shockingly low at 88. Oh, really? Oh, wow. I'm more, I'm more with Kenny. I think it should be the mid nineties. The two towers is phenomenal. Do you think it's, what do you think is the weakest of the three? That's tough for me. Um, probably the first one, but there's just some some magic to the first yeah, one. I agree. Um, that I that I love. 
I, I like I love like those first thirty minutes of the first one. It's like so Yeah. Yeah, it's great. I, I and you know what's funny is like I did not see any of the Lord of the Rings movies until last year. Oh wow. Oh man. So like that was like a, a blind spot in my nerd culture. Um so I I instantly attached to it and I've become like semi obsessed with it since. Um I, I got the books for Christmas. I haven't read them yet. Um, but yeah, the first, I think the first one's probably the weakest movie, but it, there's just something about it. Like that's one I want to rewatch all the time. So mm-hmm. yeah, like I, it's, uh, if, I feel, if I'm feeling in a bad mood, I'll, I'll throw on that, those first hour or so of Fellowship of the Ring and, you know, just being hanging out in the yeah. shire for a bit. I love that. Feel real good. I love that. I'm going to tell on myself here. I have never seen the third movie. Oh my god! What? You've seen the first so, two, Josh, but not the third. Josh. So, so this is what happened. What, what happened was, um, me and my friends, a couple of, I think some of them had seen it. I think some of us hadn't seen it. We're like, "Yo, we want to watch all the Lord of the Rings movies. We're gonna do a marathon of the extended cuts." So we watched the extended version of one and two in a row, and just completely burned ourselves out. And I just haven't touched the series since. Oh man, have you read the books? Like, do you know how it ends? I've read The Hobbit. Okay, well, <laughs> that's not the same. I, but, but I mean, I know how it ends. I mean, it's Lord of the Rings. It's been the cultural zeitgeist for like ever. So that's I know fair. how it ends. But so a, a little little uh, sidebar here. Um, there's a podcaster I listen to and I respect a lot. He always tells a story about how he read the first six Harry Potters and then never read the seventh one. <laughs> And that is equally insane to me. <laughs> like <laughs> that's just, another series I didn't see until much later. I saw the I saw the first three in the span of like six ish months in college, and then I didn't see the other four until or the other five, however many, until two thousand twenty. So you're not a completionist. You're fine. Just like, whatever. I'll see it when I see it. (laughs) Well, with Harry Potter specifically, I wasn't like super into it. I liked the third one, but I really didn't care for the first two. So it wasn't something that I was like itching to see. But then I watched the others within a few months of each other once I actually got around to it. I think that's fair. If you didn't grow grow up with the books and or like see the movies when they first came out, like I can see how the first two are kind of like, ugh. Yeah. All right. So here's the extra question. Which is higher, the number of Castellers in the game of Castell, or the number of horses used in production of the two towers? Ooh, I'm going to go horses. I am also going to go horses. That is correct. Let's go! (laughs) The game of Castell has 150 Castellers in it. The production of the two towers used 200 horses. That's a lot of horses. and. They were afraid of them, like, getting hurt, obviously. So, uh, I was reading up on this. What they did was they they filmed a lot of the horse scenes, like, in a studio um, with, like, motion capture on the horses and uh, the actors uh, with, like, the motion capture suits on. And they would do all the filming of, like, the galloping and the running. uh, And then they would, like, CGI it in. Oh, wow. Um, So, they didn't have to worry about any of the horses getting hurt. Mm, But That's good. I think if you... I think if you do that, like, I don't know why you would need 200. Just use the same horse. <laughs> just use the same horse. Just I don't know what the, the horse, horse labor laws are. It's going to be a tired horse. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, one, one other quick sidebar before I get into my games here. Uh, when I was looking up uh, some fun facts about the two towers, 
Um, it took uh, four months to record or to film the Battle of Helm's Deep because they could only film at night and it was raining almost every day. Jeez. Oh, no. I was like four months to do like that one scene. And I mean, I mean, not the one scene. I mean, it's obviously a lot longer, but like Helm's Deep is phenomenal. Obviously, it's what like, kind of makes the two towers so good. Um, but four months for for that is just outstanding to me. I was like, it'd probably be, yeah, it'd probably be super grueling, just like, or just a bit like oppressive too. Just like the darkness and the rain, and just like you're in this dreary castle. Yeah, they uh they handed out T-shirts to all the extras that said, "I survived the battle at Helm's Deep." <laughs> <laughs> I thought that was pretty funny. So basically, everyone all in right. New Zealand got it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah <it's laughs> the entire, every citizen. <laughs> Um, all right. So the games I've been playing, uh, the, this first one here is a game I actually play tested, uh, a long time ago, um, and haven't touched it until recently. And that is unmatched. Ooh. Um, I had dove into unmatched full bore. Uh, I backed the Kickstarter that has, the, uh, the boxes to store everything in. I got some Marvel sets. I got cobble and fog and, uh, even more recently today, I downloaded the app that just got released, um, and I've been playing that on my phone. Um, I did so, too. Did you? Oh, you did? Yeah. I need. Thank to goodness. Know. We'll I can play game. with somebody. Yeah. Oh uh, yes, we'll have to play a game. <laughs> I, I sent out a message on the Discord and nobody responded to me. Ooh. And oh, I, I didn't like, well, see the message. I was like, either people hate Unmatched or they hate me. <laughs> so or both. Why not both. Yeah. <laughs> and if you check both boxes. <laughs> I got a podcast for you. Yeah. Um, it's a nice Venn diagram right there. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I've just been loving unmatched. Um, I, I, the reason I wanted to dive into it is like, as soon as they announced the, the vault series or like the games were going into the vault, I was like, okay, like, I don't want to be the sucker who wants to get into this. And then I can't get Sherlock Holmes. So like they, they got me with their little marketing scheme. Um, and I went out and bought cobble and fog and I got the Bigfoot uh, character. Um, and then while I was there, I picked up the one with Moon Knight because I love Moon Knight as a character. Um, that might go more into our Marvel conversation. But yeah, this is a, a two-player dueling game um, where the rules are really easy to teach. You have three actions. You can move and draw a card. Uh, you can play a, uh, a card that has a lightning bolt symbol. I forget what those are called. A scheme. Or you can attack. And the whole goal of the game is to kill the other character before they kill you. Um, and I just love the ease of it. I love the card play of it. I love the art on the cards. Um, I love the line of sight rule, which is just yeah. like there are different zones. And if you're in the same zone as somebody, then you're in line of sight. I just think that is a genius way to do it. So, yeah, I've been really into Unmatched. Uh, and I'm super pumped to hear you downloaded the app, Kenny, because we're going to be playing a lot of it. Yeah, for sure. And I've, I've kind of this past year, I've really gotten into Unmatched, too. Um, I, I think the last one I played was the Marvel set, the Daredevil and Bullseye. And I loved it. Like those two are like perfectly tuned to each other. Um, but I, I just love the variability to it and just like how there's so much to discover in each box. And just, especially when you think about like the different maps you can play on and the different matchups you can do. It's just like, it's kind of like one of those an endless games. Like you can play for, you know, many, many years from now. Yeah, I think so too. Yeah, I um, this is one of the first games I played when I got back from Japan. Oh, yeah. um, I think it was actually the night I met Kenny. Right. Um, but uh, Max pulled out Cobble and Fog, and I was Sherlock Holmes, and he was 
uh, Dracula. And I think it ended up being, we did the video, um, the games that, um, like our favorite play and what surprised us in December, um, on table knots. Um, and that was my uh, either top or most surprising. I couldn't decide, um, because I just loved it. I loved how thematic it was. I loved that, like the cards for, um, for Sherlock Holmes were so like thinky and you would have to use deduction to like figure out what was in your opponent's hand. And then Watson just has a gun and shoots people <laughs> and it feels very different than what you're doing with Holmes. Um, it just, I, it makes me definitely want to play more. And the thought of the app definitely intrigues me. And then also they just announced the cooperative unmatched, which I am very uh, interested in. And I hope that that does well. Yeah, um, that is something I will be backing for sure, um, not, if not just for the characters, which I'm not even super familiar with three of the four of them. Um, but I was reading up on the Golden Bat today, which is like, apparently he was the first ever superhero. Like he was created in 1930 in Japan. Oh, wow. Um, So Josh, that's a, seems like it should be up your alley. Yeah. I'm going to jump into the old Googles real quick. (laughs) (laughs) Um, so yeah, the, uh, one last thing on Unmatched is like, it's, it's hard for a game to like jazz me Mm -hmm. up anymore. Um, which seems really, uh, I don't know. Um, sad uh but this is a game that's like really got me excited it's one that's like i i want to teach my wife um who's not into board games and would not be into any of the theming at all but like i just want to play it so bad like i was like (laughs) i would love to be able to set this up on the couch and we're like watching tv um and the the rules are easy enough or uh simple enough that she would be able to like listen for five minutes um and and get them so it's something i've really wanted to teach her too so you know, if she hates it, there's a pretty big unmatched community and like it's surprisingly big, right? Like I, I remember there I've seen people like would stream um the games, you know, through through webcams to play together. Um so I mean there, there's a big community that exists out there. Almost it's, I think people can treat it like a lifestyle game in a way. So yeah. Oh yeah, that's good that's good to hear. <laughs> um this uh <laughs> This uh, second game, I won't talk about too much, um, but I've been playing uh, Lord of the Rings Journeys in Middle Earth. Um, So we already kind of talked about Lord of the Rings a little bit. Um, We hit that too early. uh, I think so. (laughs) That's that's on me. That's on me. Um, So Journeys in Middle Earth is a campaign uh, app-assisted game um, where you're playing uh, different heroes. um, And they have uh, Bilbo's in there. You have Legolas. Boromir is a character you can play and so you're playing as these heroes and you're playing through the story and uh what's cool is like you start off on like two map tiles and as you go along through the scenario the map gets bigger and um you start it's really about exploration um and finding out what you need to do because you don't know exactly the end goal of the scenario um if you've ever played uh Mansions of Madness I think mm-hmm. it's uh, got a similar system um but they have Mansion of the Madness is dice rolling and Lord of the Rings is more card play. Um, and this is a game that like I I really loved um, the first like six, seven times I played it. And now we've played, we're on like scenario eight um, and we've played it all pretty consistently. Like we've played it like every week for like every Tuesday for the last two months. Um, and I, I got to admit, I'm getting a little bit burnt out on it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think part of it is 
one, uh, it's getting a lot more difficult and uh, the, kind of going with the Arkham Horror thing. Like it's, it's not that it's difficult. It's that it's like it, things are ha- these skill checks are happening. It's like we don't even have a chance to to pass them. Um, but that that's really not what's been bugging me. I think my group as a whole has just been kind of getting like burned out on it, and so mm-hmm. like. Uh, some people aren't just like, they don't care what other people are doing. And, um, they, it's just kind of like, I think it's more of a, been more of a group problem recently. Uh, it's a game I still like, I'm excited to get through and I want to play and I still want to play the expansions and I'm actually in the middle of painting it. Um, it's a game I still really like, but I do think I need to take a step back from it for a couple weeks. Um, and like get that, that juice flowing back to be excited to play it again. Um, but yeah, it, I guess it's been nice that I do have a group that plays every week where we can play a campaign game like this, but I, I do struggle uh, with campaign games um, getting repeat plays over and over and over again. Yeah, like so I really like campaign games, um, but I find that I ha- playing them online is really the way to go. Like there's, I, I find like, you know, if you go in the effort to like go to someone's house or have some people come over to your house, and you're playing the same game week after week after week, I could definitely get burnt out much faster i i think yeah i think that's probably part of it and also um one of the guys i play with he can't make it over here until like 9 30 or 9 45 at night mm-hmm. um so we don't get started until 10 and then some scenarios are running long and it gets to be about midnight and i'm like guys like can we like speed up our turns and so it's like it gets to the point where we're not even caring what we're what's happening um we just kind of we're trying to go through the motions to to end it right um so, uh, like I said, it's probably more of a group problem because I still really like the game and I think it does some cool things. One thing I want to mention that I like about Journeys in the Middle Earth and that I actually really like about Arkham Horror, the card game, is that if you lose a scenario, you still move on to the yeah. next scenario. Mm. Um, that's something I do not like in Gloomhaven, where if you get lose a scenario, you have to keep playing it over and over and over again and talk about talk about a slog. Um, when you have to play the same scenario over and over again, I just can't stand it. So, yeah. And then like, it creates like situations where you're like, you like, you know, you have this really tense, like last turn, like all comes down to this and you lose and you're like, Oh, just kidding. I did this instead. Right. It's just, it becomes yeah. just so easy. I'm just going to pretend I won that. Yeah, exactly. It's just like, do we want to just say I did this or go through this for another hour? It's yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a bad design choice, I think, but. Um, and there's one thing I do love about Arkham Horror too. It's just like you can fail forward, you know? Yeah, that, that's a great way of putting it. And you know who I think did it best is Pandemic Legacy, where mm. if you lose, you play that month over again. And if you lose again, you move on. Sure. So like you get two cracks at it. Because um, there's something like to be said about um, losing a scenario like in Lord of the Rings, Journeys of Middle Earth, where you're like, ah, oh, I wish we would have done this. We could have done this. And I think we would have won you can't figure that out because you're moving on to the next scenario, right? You can't tell if like your, your theory crafting after the game is, is true. And with like the aspect of like something like pandemic legacy, because it's a legacy game, the choices you made your first time, even though you lost can still come into play when you're repeating the scenario. It's not one-to-one because you might've already placed a sticker on the board or something. Yeah, that's true. And your characters are getting stronger and, and all that. So, yeah, I th- I think there are just better ways to go about it than uh, what Gloomhaven did. Um, I know that's sacrilege, but I mean nothing's perfect. Ah, uh, Brass Birmingham, maybe. Um, <laughs> let's get into uh, what we've been watching recently. Josh, what have you been watching? Okay, so I mean I know I'm the only one here who watches anime, 
Um, but given today's I subject, I watched an matter, anime movie last week. Thank you. That's true, but you only did that because of me. <laughs> yeah, fair. Yeah, so I've been watching My Hero Academia, um, which is a manga, an anime that draws a lot of inspiration, actually, from Western superhero comics. Uh, in in the world, almost everyone genetically has a power called a quirk, and the main character, Izuku Midoriya, was born quirkless, but his life turns around when the hero that he looks up to the most, whose name is All Might, sees that Midoriya has a heroic spirit and tells Midoriya that his power is a special one that gets passed on from person to person and gives Midoriya a chance to be the hero that he's always wanted to be. And it is, it's one of my favorites. Um, It started in 2017. So we're on season like six now. Um, And like, I feel like the show is close to wrapping up. Like we've, the stakes are so high to the point where I'm like, I don't know how this can escalate much further than it is, but I honestly think that this is one that's very accessible. Uh, it does have some things that will tick, um, Kenny's anime questions. Um, (laughs) (laughs) however, like, uh, it's, like I said, it's very influenced by Western comics. The person who, um, who wrote it. He loves Western comics. He loves Star Wars. There are places in the show that are just named straight up after Star Wars places. Um, there's Camino and a hospital that's named Jakku. Um, and then there's a person whose attack is literally called Phantom Menace. Um, nice. So that's there's stuff. Name. It's like, yeah, exactly. Um, and then also there's some stuff that I don't know if it's intentional, but it really like has like Avatar The Last Airbender parallels. So it ticks a lot of boxes that I really like. Like what is like, so I think like animes can like have such a wide range of just like how it feels. How does this feel to you? Is I'm going to need you to mean? give me like an example. <laughs> I, don't I don't know, know what you mean. <laughs> oh, man, Tell me know. how you feel. <laughs> how does it make you feel? That's the question here. So let's get, let's get I, th- I think something that has shifted in anime over the years in general is, you know, you had your big three. You had, like, Naruto, you had One Piece, and you had um, Bleach. And yeah, that's these definitely the Mount Rushmore. Were, yeah. Uh, they, they call it the big three um, because that was selling the most copies. Uh, they were, like, the longest-running series of Shonen Jump. And um, they would release an episode every single week. So then as they progressed, they would get closer and closer to the story of the manga that was being written. So they would have to shove filler episodes in there that would just make them drag on forever and ever. That's where the stereotype of like Dragon Ball Z taking 19 episodes for five minutes to pass comes from. Um, But now they do it more seasonally, like what we would consider normal television to be. So you get like 12 to 24 episodes a year or so. And so they don't have to shove it with things that don't matter anymore because you're just waiting actual time between episodes or seasons rather. Hmm. I will say, yeah, like anime is definitely not my style. Um, the movie you suggested to, to us, bell, uh, I, I liked, um, but I do wonder if like two hours is my max. Um, <laughs> the, the premise of my hero academia sounds fantastic to me like that's something that would interest me but like i don't know if i could do six seasons of it maybe I'll, maybe i'll give it a shot josh yeah um, and you know you don't have to watch all six seasons at once you know you could watch a season of it and then and i'm give, not take you a break i do have then... to do that <laughs> <laughs> i do have to do that 
I mean, I, I would definitely give it a shot. Okay. You said all, you said watch all six seasons at once. I just envisioned like having six separate TVs all playing episodes. Of, oh yeah. Oh, well, have yeah. you seen the video? That's all six Star Wars. Well, but this is pre uh, sequel trilogy. Um, all six episodes of Star Wars playing at once. No. I have not seen that. It's a nightmare because the, <laughs> they don't they don't take the exact same amount of time from like the the um the like beginning to the opening crawl so the um the theme music starts at slightly different times oh. <laughs> and it's a nightmare i think watching six it's watching anything of six times is gonna be a nightmare regardless so i mean i do that on nfl sundays oh that's wow all so, right but do you have like the sound on for all of them no Right, no. and that's where the nightmare scenario would come. Yeah, from. definitely. I I want you there. All right, what else you got? That's all I really. I'm Aaron and I started watching uh, Kim's Convenience. Have you, any of you all seen that? No, but I love sitcoms. It's a sitcom, right? Yeah, it's it's set in Canada. It's a Korean family. Um, it has uh, I don't I don't know how to I pronounce his name. I've never like heard it said before. Simu Liu from uh, Shang-Chi. Oh, no, okay, yeah. Awesome. Yeah. And then um, the, the dad, I don't know the actor's name, but he is the guy who uh, rescues the Mandalorian with um, a guy who made Clone Wars in the episode <laughs> where they're about to get eaten by the spider thingies. <laughs> Crystal clear. Yeah, there are gonna be people who go. Oh yeah, that guy. Yeah, though we'll get flood the flood the Discord with who that Dave guy Filoni. Is. That's the not 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 the guy from that show, but with the guy he him and Dave Filoni rescue the Mandalorian from the weird little spider thing. But yeah, it's it's really it's really wholesome. Um, it's about a Korean family that owns a convenience store and just the family dynamics between them, and it's it's funny and it's wholesome, and I like it a lot. Uh, I was gonna say I remember one thing I do know about this. Like it's one of the few shows that's really actually tackled the pandemic. Um, just actually addressing it face on, like having episodes focused around like you know people not wearing masks and stuff like that. And uh, I thought that was a pretty interesting uh, aspect for like a modern comedy to take. Usually they just try to pretend it didn't happen, right? <laughs> I honestly don't know how I feel about that because like. I feel like that's only going to be, you know, like we joked about my COVID memes at the beginning. Um, <laughs> I feel like that's going to be like very like dated and not very relevant to people that weren't around at this time for this very specific event. Like um, in uh, The Glass Onion, the first like 30 minutes where they talk about the pandemic, but then just ignore it for the rest of the movie. Yeah. Like I just... <laughs> I feel like that's so unnecessary and it's just this weird thing that we have to sit through. I think I prefer it um, because like TV shows, they can be like time pieces, right? Like we, if you watch like boy meets world, like it takes you to the early nineties. Um, it feels very nineties. They're calling from landlines, stuff like that. Um, but the, the Chuck Lorre shows like um, two and a half men, uh, Big Bang Theory. I don't know if that's a Chuck Lorre show, but all these like uh, CBS, like ABC sitcoms that Chuck Lorre has produced, he refuses to have anything referenced that would tell you um, what time period this show takes place in. 
because he wants everything. He wants his shows to be syndicated and run forever and ever and ever that uh, if you're watching the show in 2050, it makes the same sense as it did in 2004. Um, so there is like producers out there who do think like that. Like we cannot show anything that would make any reference to the time period we're in because then it won't sell in the future. Um, and I think I prefer the other way of like saying like, Oh, they're doing pandemic stuff that took place during 2020. Yeah. I mean, I think like TV in general has changed. So like, I don't think people, most things are not going to get syndicated and syndicated. So I think people are taking more artistic liberties to like, tell stories that like, yeah. actually make are yeah. more impactful. So, yeah. All right. Uh, Kenny, what are you been watching? Um, I recently watched us. Um, this is the second movie by Jordan Peele. Um, and, uh, I, I really liked it quite a bit. Uh, I, I, for me, the tier ranking probably would be get out us. And then Nope. Um, I'd like all three, um, of course, but, uh, something about us really hit for me. I think it was the, it really did a good job of creating like the sense of like suspense and dread basically like 15 minutes in, um, and just kind of carries through the entire movie. Um, uh, they're like, I think in the overall things it's talking about too, I thought was a really interesting, um, there's a social commentary aspect, uh, you know, like obviously I'm not going to spoil it, but like it was, you have to take a pretty big leap in logic or just like a, really suspend your belief to get there, but I was able to do it pretty well. So, you know, as the as things kind of revealed and you kind of see, understand what's happening. Um, I was able to go with him like, yeah, I love it. Let's go. But, um, I, I think that's really, the performances in the movie are really, really great. Um, and so I think like, it's, I think it's a movie that really just showed like a lot of Jordan Peele's chops for just like these kind of like suspenseful, uh, horror movies and just like how good he is at it. So good stuff. Have you guys seen it? It's a movie about masks, right? That's topical. <laughs> yeah. Uh, masks. <laughs> I haven't actually seen it. I just I just know the like the the poster or whatnot. Yeah. I saw us in theaters with my wife, um, because we both really, really loved Get Out. Mm-hmm. So um that Jordan Peele movies had become kind of like a staple for us. Um and that's one that uh, I enjoyed, but after Get Out, I was kind of like disappointed. Mm-hmm. If that makes sense, sure. um, it's like something I'm kind of worried about for Expeditions. The the sequel to Scythe is like I've I've played Scythe, so I'm not yeah. <laughs> worried about what the second one's going to be. Um, but since seeing Nope and thinking about Us, it's more. I think I will like it when I rewatch it again. I know it's on our our list, so I will be watching it soon, um, and I expect to like it a lot more. Um, and that's not to say I didn't enjoy it the first time. It was just like, ah, it wasn't get out. So. Yeah. And I think that's, that's for me, like I didn't have those expectations built in. So I think, um, cause like, I kind of saw like the reaction of like people liked it, but not as much as get out. So I think that helped me uh, kind of get there. Uh, but I, I will say it was kind of a trip watching it. And I, but like maybe a few days before I'd watched Wakanda forever. Um, and it was such, it was such a trip watching it and seeing that like, Oh, okay. I guess M'Baku and, um, uh, what's, what's it? Oh no! What's her? Is it Nakia? Nakia? No, yeah, Nakia are married and have a family in America. Weird. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love Winston Duke so much. He's so yeah, he's, he's so awesome. He's really great. Yeah, he's so like, awesome. Mbaku is like the best. And then I, I saw him in another movie with like Mark Wahlberg on Netflix or something. But like I don't know, just him. I I love him so much. Yeah, and I would say like uh, Lupita Lupita 
my gosh, what Nyong'o? Nyong'o, yeah, she was amazing in it. Like, like her her, her performance was just like like breathtaking, like captivating, right? Like, you, it was hard not to look away. So, uh, so another thing I've been watching is uh, Devil Girl, kind of keeping kind of the tangential Marvel train. Uh, is this on Disney Plus? I think the Disney Channel. It's a Devil Girl. Uh, no, no, Moon Girl and Devil Dinosaur. Uh, it's an animated kid show um, about um, uh, a genius kid in the Lower East Side of uh, New York um, who's basically accidentally brought a devil dinosaur into her into the realm, and they end up to become superheroes and uh, fight off criminals. Um, it's it it's I think it's really interesting because I think it shares a lot with like despite uh, the movie we're going to talk about today, the Spider Verse. Um, and that just has like a lot of like really fun energy and it's just like so incredibly charming. It kind of reminds me of like something like Teen Titans Go, just like the, the energy level that it brings. Um, and it's just like, they also do some really, just really surprising things. Like every episode has like a little musical number, like, or like a pop song that is just like incredibly catchy and really good, uh, that they integrate like, uh, really seamlessly and like just the overall, like visuals and just like the cinematics in the show are just really um quite something so uh i think it's a good show you could like watch their kids like i watched with my uh, five-year-old daughter and she was into it so uh something you may watch their kids too kyle yeah i was i we turned on the first episode because i'm interested um and and you're you're right the te- it's major teen titans go vibes mm-hmm. um uh now we were like playing in our basement while we had it on so i don't know like how like invested my daughter got into it so it's something like i'm gonna have to like say like sit back on the couch with her like hey let's watch this because i I think she'll love it she's like super into superhero movies um and and characters which uh i will get into more later uh but yeah i i definitely um i'm gonna check that out and i know josh you know it probably from marvel snap moon grill and devil dinosaur yeah yeah that's Great the combo, only right? context i have so does she like make two devil dinosaurs in the show and then like the devil <laughs> dinosaur get bigger based on how many i don't know cards people have in their wallet no i think i think they're really trying to show the synergy of just like hey these two are best buds they're, they should always gotcha. be together you know yeah i had no i've never heard of either of the characters prior to marvel snap i've heard of devil dinosaur but i i didn't the moon girl was a blind spot for me. So, so this is on Disney plus. Is that what you said? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think it's like, you don't have to have kids to watch it either. Like, I think it's quite enjoyable. Um, if you just want to watch a, a fun cartoon. So I like fun cartoons. All right. Well, let's get into what I've been watching. Um, and the first one that I want to talk about is, uh, the 2014 Wes Anderson movie, the grand Budapest hotel. Um, and before I get into what this movie is about, uh, let me just rally off the cast real quick. Uh, Ralph Fiennes, Bill Murray, Tilda Swinton, Tony Revolori, Edward Norton, Adrian Brody, Owen Wilson, Jason Schwartzman, Willem Dafoe, F. Murray Abraham, Saoirse Ronan, Jeff Goldblum, Jude Law, Harvey Keitel. It is an absolute banger cast. <laughs> like, yeah, I, for real. Uh, I went into this movie not knowing really anything about it other than like it uh, in 2014, it got nominated for a ton of awards. I think it was up for best picture. I don't think it won. I can't remember. Um, but then like, as I was watching, I'm like, oh, that's Jude Law. That's cool. Oh, F. Murray Abraham. And it was just like, boom, 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 boom. Actor after actor after actor that I loved. And I was like, this is incredible. 
So what this movie is about is uh, Ralph Fiennes plays a concierge at the Grand Budapest Hotel. Um, and as a concierge, he lays with a lot of women, to put it uh, oh, sex. nicely. <laughs> yeah, 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 Got it. yeah, sex. Um, and those women can be anybody. So like he sleeps with older women. He sleeps with younger women. Anybody that comes into there that's lonely, he's hooking up with. Um, and one of the old ladies that he had a relationship with uh, passed away and she left him part of her estate because she was very wealthy. And uh, he is soon investigated for uh, her murder um, because they're like, why is this concierge in her will? And why did he get everything? Um, and it sounds more serious than the movie actually is. Um, it's very cheeky. Um, it doesn't take itself too seriously. I laughed out loud multiple times. The character work is great. The dialogue is great. Um, I can't recommend this movie highly enough. Um, if you guys don't watch it soon, like it'll probably be the, uh, next on, like when we pick <laughs> our new movies for our next list, like it'll probably gotcha. be there. Um, it's just, it's so good. It's so fun. Um, it gave me similar vibes to like, uh, knives out. Um, Mm. so knives out is one of my favorite movies. Um, if, if not my favorite movie. And the reason I like it is because it's so rewatchable for me, even though I know what happens because it's just, I just love being in that world. I just love the environment of everything. (laughs) And I could see like this being a movie I watch like during Christmas, I'll watch this movie when I'm sick. Um, so it just, (laughs) it really got me amped. How would you rank it with? Uh, compared to like the other Wes Anderson movies, so I don't think I've seen any other Wes Anderson oh, man, movies. Really? Okay. I was looking this up. Have the you not other seen his stop motion stuff? I don't think uh, like um, the Isle of Dogs. Yeah. I have not. Dude, it's so good. Have you seen the Royal Tannenbaums? No. Oh man. So yeah, I was looking this up the other day. Like, I, I was like, I feel like I've had to see some other Wes Anderson movie, and then I was looking through his catalog, and I'm like, nope, 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 nope. No um, fantastic Mr. Fox. Nope, and I've heard that's great too. Is good. I remember when the Royal Tenenbaums came out. Um, so that was 2001. So I was just a wee lad. I was 13. <laughs> um, and my and my parents rented it, and uh, my parents uh, watched it without me because I it pro- they probably didn't think it was uh, it was probably too mature for me at the time. But they watched it without me and they hated it. Um, <laughs> I can see that. And I will sit. I will say, like, my parents don't have quite the same taste in movies that I have. So, like, I, I've heard nothing but good things about the Royal Tenenbaums other than what they had to say. But at the time, like, you hear that as a 13-year-old, like, all that movie wasn't very good. Um, that stuck with me for a long time. And it's just now, like, I'm realizing, like, oh, I should go back to that because it probably is good. Yeah. So, I, I've seen the Grand Budapest <clears throat> Hotel, but it's been, like, I could not tell you one thing about it. Um, <laughs> like, so, it's, it's like movie... You know, you see movies and just, you know, uh, you know, in one eyeball and out the other. That's that's the saying, right? Um, that yeah, yeah, that's saying. what they say yeah. all the time. Uh, so, yeah, this one I, I would like, because I do like Western Anderson movies. Um, and I just would like to go back and watch. So, I'll probably maybe have to break, uh, get this going. But you should watch some Western Anderson movies. I think Royal Tannenbaums is very good. Moonrise Kingdom. Like, uh, even like... I've heard Rushmore is fantastic. Rushmore is good, yeah. I, I think... I actually, I think probably my favorite is the Royal Tannenbaums and Moonrise Kingdom. So, like, yeah, if if you like that style of movie, and like, the more you watch those movies, you'll see like some of his like visual quirks that kind of come through, like how everything is just like dead on or just like 
uh, right angles and stuff. He does some uh, repetition in like the way he shoots his movies, so which I think is really interesting, kind of like yeah. his signature. So, yeah, his his influence actually comes from a Japanese director named Osu. So that mm-hmm. that dead on technique is actually pulled from him. Oh, really? oh, that's very cool. Cool. Yeah, I, I do have to ask. My only like um, frame of reference for concierges is Home Alone Two. So does he bully <laughs> any little children in this movie? <laughs> he orders several cheese pizzas and uh, uh, <laughs> uh so talking about like uh, a director with a specific style uh i watched the edgar wright movie uh Ooh. last night in soho so the last night in soho stars uh thomas and mckenzie and anya taylor joy um who are both uh lovely actors um i've Pretty much like everything they've been in. What? what hold on, no, that's not true. So Thomas and McKenzie uh, loved her in Last Night in Soho. I loved her in Jojo Rabbit. She's also in the M Night Shyamalan movie Old, which is a flaming pile of garbage movie. <laughs> um, like, it did is you a love Anya in the New Mutants? <laughs> so I did not see the New Mutants. Yeah, actually, she's actually pretty good in it. I would say so. Yeah, she looks just like magic. Yeah. So I watched the entirety of that movie in a runway, waiting for my plane to take off. <laughs> <laughs> um. So, uh, have you guys seen the last night in Soho? I have uh, not. I have not either. Now, okay. I need so, to because uh, I love Edgar Wright. Yeah, yes. Same. Uh, this is another one that I I highly recommend. Um. Instant four out of five stars for me on Letterboxd. I I will describe the movie um, in a very high level because I don't want to spoil anything. But uh, this is a Thomason McKenzie's character uh, plays Ellie, who is a, a wannabe fashion designer, and she moves from the country uh, side of England to London to go to school there. Um, and she uh, is somebody who's obsessed with the '60s and the '60s culture, and she's like I. She was so excited to go to London and she wanted to be part of that city because of what she thought it was in the sixties. Um, and then she ends up living in, uh, renting a room from this old lady in a house. Um, and every time she goes to sleep, she enters, uh, the 1960s in London from Anya Taylor joys, uh, point of view. Oh. Um, hmm. and it's so every time she goes to sleep, she enters this world that she has always wanted to be in and she's living a luxury luxurious like lifestyle at first because Annie Taylor joy is similar to her where she is an aspiring singer, not an aspiring fashion designer. Um, so she's like seeing somebody try to fulfill their dreams in London, just like her, but in a time period, she like really respected. Um, and she's quickly taking on that persona in her, in the current day when she like wakes up, she like dyed her hair blonde so she can look like Anya um, she started dressing in sixties clothes and trying to take on that. But as the story goes, um, on and on and on, and she starts living on Taylor Joy's life more, um, this dream quickly becomes a nightmare. Um, and it actually becomes a really fun thriller, um, about halfway through the movie. Um, huh. so if you like Edgar Wright, I, I think this is probably my favorite Edgar Wright movie, if I'm being honest, Whoa. um, which I don't. I'm not like Max with Edgar Wright, where Max like fawns over Edgar Wright, loves everything he does. <laughs> um, I think his movies are good, um, not great, but I really, really enjoyed. Last you got to put so some well. respect on Scott Pilgrim. Yeah, you better throw down. Ooh, okay, no, yeah, I did forget about that. I do love Scott Pilgrim okay. as well. Okay, um, Scott Pilgrim is probably my number two. It is acceptable. 
<laughs> yeah, this, this, nice. is, this sounds very interesting. I think some of, I'll definitely have to give it a go. Um, Josh, do you have a board game movie game for us? I do. I do have to say that I sent these prompts to Doolin, and he informed me that I did not do it 100% by his rules. <laughs> Apparently, you're supposed to flow from the last syllable of the first thing into the other, and it doesn't necessarily do that. However, I do believe that you guys are going to be able to get these. Okay. okay. Yeah. It's screw yeah. Doolin's rules. He's not here. Yeah. I mean, you know, I, I, I make my own path. <laughs> we don't We're have doing to a mutiny like today. rules anymore. Yeah. I don't follow can't hurt rules. Us. Okay. So I, I wanted to be thematic. So one out of one out of the properties of each of these prompts are going to be Marvel related. Nice. Yeah. Okay. So first we start with a deck building game where you assemble your favorite heroes to rescue bystanders and fight villains. And wait a second, that stray dog you found can play basketball. Legendary, legendary bud. Legendary bud. Marvel legendary bud. Yes, Marvel legendary bud. Exactly. (laughs) See, and there's what it is. I didn't do legendary bud. I went from the legendaire, Uh, and that's where it's slightly different. But you know, we're definitely going to do air bud on this podcast. By the way, oh dude, we should absolutely. It's a fantastic movie. We should do a marathon of every single air bud movie, including the including the air buddies. I'll be uh I'll be out that episode, I think. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So next, your imprisoned sister has taken over your home and caused you to be exiled to a strange alien planet. Now you must discern clues and trade information to solve the murder of Mr. Walton. What? I have no clue. One of these is a Marvel property? Yes. Can you repeat it? Your imprisoned sister has taken over your home and caused you to be exiled to a strange alien planet. Now you must discern clues and trade information to solve the murder of Mr. Walton. I mean, it's awkward guess is the game, right? But what's the... Could be. Oh, okay, awkward maybe not. Guessed. Awkward guest. Do you need a hint? The, the new mutants. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I need a hand. I don't know. What if I said your imprisoned sister has taken over your home and caused both you and your brother to be exiled to a strange alien oh. planet? Thor Ragnarok. Oh! Mm, nope. Thor Ragnarok. It's got to be Thor Ragnarok. You're you're correct there. Yeah. Thor, Thor. Ragn- no Rockward guest. Um, yes, exactly. Thor Ragnar Rockward guests. That's that's we Very, both get points for that, Kyle. Yeah, that's teamwork. <laughs> that was teamwork. That one actually did follow the rules. That one's correct. I will give Kenny like eighty percent of that though, because he came up with awkward guest and Thor Ragnarok, and I just put it together. Yeah, so. you were like, wait a second. You suck in a very small portion of that. Okay. So number three. Pick your hero and cooperate to stop the master plan of a powerful villain while finding yourself trapped in an art institute where all of the exhibits are coming to life. Marvel United United the Museum. Museum. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, Marvel United the Museum. (laughs) 
Okay, okay, I got one more, and this is a big one. This one is a three-parter, and oh I'm not going God. to tell you what kind of media the third <laughs> one is. Oh, man. So, after the death of a hero you just gained similar powers to, you must speak vaguely about locations to root out a secret agent, while reluctantly taking up the mantle of your friend after the government tries to make their own version of him. I, I really think one of these is Ant-Man <laughs> Quantumania. Have you seen that yet, Josh? I have, but it's okay, not good. It's not one of these. Okay, oh, he- I thought when somebody was speaking in vagueness, you were Janet Van Dyne who kept saying, I can't talk about this. <laughs> no, I, I <laughs> like, will say that that, that is the board game. Oh my god. I can't do this. A three, it's three. Captain America. One of them is Captain America. Um, is one mind management? No. Ugh. Okay. Well, is it Mysterium? It is not. I know it's the. It's uh. Uh. What was the Captain America show? Um. Uh, Winter Soldier. Winter Soldier. Yeah. Um. No. What was that? Fa- Falcon uh, and Winter Soldier. Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Yeah. All right. Falcon and the Winter Soldier. That's what the show. That's the show he's describing. I think. Uh. You know what? I I don't know what the typical rules for this is. So sure, you got you got the last third. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um the first wow. the first third should be a given. I mean, you you think that Is it Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse? Oh, yeah, yeah. Yes, okay. the first third is into the Spider-Verse. All right, Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse uh, and remember, uh, I didn't necessarily do this correctly, so verse <laughs> might not be the part that flows. Uh, 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 Spider-Man into the Spy Fall Diverse. Oh. Spy Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Yeah, yeah, yes. Into wow. the Spy Fal into the Spy Falcon and the Winter Soldier. <laughs> yes. What? Spyfall. I, I can see why Dylan got so upset at you for doing it wrong. <laughs> yeah, that's, hey, that's, that's an amazing prompt. From now on, let's stick to Dylan's rules. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, very, very fun game, Josh. Yeah, I enjoyed all three, all, all three or four of those. Those were very fun. The, the last one was actually the first one that I thought of. The Into the Spy Falcon and the Winter Soldier. That one's my favorite. <laughs> it was good. <laughs> All right, let's now go on to our featured segment to discuss the Phil Lord animated masterpiece, Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. The film is the origin story for a brand new Spider-Man, Miles Morales, voiced by Shameik Moore, after he witnesses Kingpin kill the Spider-Man of his universe. Kingpin's plot to bring back his wife and son from another universe opens up the multiverse that brings in multiple friendly neighborhood web-slingers. Before we move on to discussing Marvel themes and board games, what'd you all think of the movie? Kenny? Uh, so I think like we're all going to have very similar thoughts to this movie uh, because for me, this is my favorite Marvel movie. I think it's like in terms of just like execution and just as an overall movie, I think it is like the by far the best one that's been done. It's just like I try to look at movies with like a critical eye and say like I didn't like this or I didn't like this. But when I watch Spider-Verse, I'm like, I, I have no notes, you know. My my top three are Infinity War, uh, Winter Soldier, and this. And I don't know if I can necessarily pinpoint what I like more. Um, I do think that this is my favorite Spider-Man movie. Um, Because it's, I mean, like you said, everything about it is good. I have no 
flaws. It is beautiful. It is compelling. It um, is fine. It is everything I want in the kind of movie that it is. So I, I don't have it ranked with amongst my Marvel movies. I rank all the MCU movies. Um, I'm an MCU fanatic. Uh, I do love Spider-Verse. Um, it's a movie I was like skeptical on for a long time. Um, because I just didn't trust Sony and <laughs> the fact that it was animated kind of like, um, we're going to get into this a little bit later at first. It was a little bit of a turnoff for me. Um, but yeah, this movie is, is fantastic. It's a 10 out of 10. I don't think it would be my, it's not my favorite Marvel movie. Even like, I can tell you that right now, like infinity war is my number one. Um, infinity war is probably my favorite movie of all time ahead of knives out. Um, I think that movie is truly perfect. Um, but yeah, spider verse, uh, is um uh is it my favorite spider-man movie i don't know i don't know because uh let's get into like my next question is um so spider-man is probably my favorite hero i'm i'm very unique like that um (laughs) i'm not like other girls yeah uh i have all three uh mcu spider-man in the top 10 of my mcu rankings uh i love all three of them because i just love the character um so if I'm thinking about Spider-Verse and if it's my favorite Spider-Man movie, like that's going to be, that's a high bar to clear. Um, and, and it still might, I just haven't really thought about it. So, but where do you guys like fall with like Spider-Man as a character? Number one, baby. <laughs> yeah. He is my favorite. He has been my entire life. Um, watching the nineties Spider-Man animated series was like a daily thing before I went to school. Um, I've played the games. It's just, he's, it's constantly been a part of like my identity, I guess I, I've always loved it. He's always been my favorite. And I like Spider-Man. I think like it's for me, Spider-Man is kind <laughs> of like the Mickey mouse of the Marvel universe. Like he's just so everywhere. He's so ubiquitous. Like how can you not like that would him? be spider ham? Sure. Yeah. Fair. <laughs> yeah. Um, my, my favorite character is actually daredevil. So I do like these characters kind of like street level. Um, They're friends. Of, yeah, exactly. Um, kind of, who are kind of like more on the ground level, just fighting bad guys, saving, you know, old the old granny walking down the street, right? Um, but uh, yeah, I, I, I mean, I like Spider Man, but like he's he's just every like like you guys said, he's everyone loves Spider Man. You know, I think it's the fact that like he's kind of a nerd. I think that resonates with a lot of people yeah. who are into like comic books, right? Like that's somebody that you can relate to quite a bit. He's awkward. Um, he has fast quips, um, and fast like whips. He, he has very fast whips, <laughs> just like Josh here. So it's like Spider-Man is like always somebody that you could relate to. Cause he was just a kid. Um, he was like thrown into this situation that he didn't want to be in. And he like took that head on. Um, and something like, as we talked about moon girl and devil dinosaur, I brought up how my daughter is like really into, um, Marvel characters and like she also loves Spider-Man but like I grew up with Peter Parker right and so like Peter Parker is my favorite Spider-Man mm-hmm. well she is now growing up with Miles Morales and Ghost Spider yeah and uh, the fact that she loves those two characters as much as I loved like Peter Parker growing up is like it warms my heart like we went to this um this like Marvel exhibit at the Science Center uh here in Columbus and like going around with her and her getting excited about seeing like the Spider-Man costume. And every time we see like a Spider-Man thing in like target, she like wants to get it. And it's just like, Oh, this is so cool. Like seeing (laughs) my little one, like love the things that I love. 
Um, and so like the fact that she is uh, Spider-Man is her favorite character, whether it's Miles Morales or Peter or Gwen, it, it is just made the character even more important to me. Uh, somebody who I already like loved uh, is like now like 10 times because like it's a connection I have with her. So I'm I'm not against it. But when did we start using Ghost Spider? Uh, I'm with you. Uh, I would always called her Spider Gwen. Yeah, same. But she started going by Ghost Spider on all the toys uh, after Spider Verse. I noticed. I'm like, why are they putting Ghost Spider on here? It's Spider Gwen. Like, it makes sense because, like, if you were a superhero, like, if if Spider Man was going around as Spider Peter, I think it would be <laughs> much easier to figure out who was under the mask. There's a lot of Peters, man. That's true. Peter. That's but in Gwen, you know, it's not as common as a name, so it'd probably be even easier to narrow down. There's also a uh, a Disney Plus show, which I actually think is like a Disney Junior show called Spidey and His Amazing Friends. Oh, yeah. um, uh, did does your daughter watch that? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I and she goes by Ghost Spider and that as well. Like they call her like Ghosty and stuff. So yeah, I don't know when that happened. Um, I'm trying I not if that's to gonna be it. a bit in the Spider Verse sequel. she's gonna be like it's ghost spider now (laughs) i'm trying not to be old man yells at cloud yeah because i'm not mad about it i just didn't know that the the the, the name changed i do find it funny that miles morales is the one that can turn invisible yet he is not ghost spider (laughs) (laughs) yeah and they just kind of stuck with spider-man which i mean i'm not mad about i just think it's interesting all right uh so going back to the movie as a whole do you guys have like a favorite scene or something that stuck out to you um that you were just like when you saw the movie you were like oh my god this is awesome so i do want to take a moment to shout out um his dad i think that um the family dynamic um is really good and to prepare for this i read a little bit of the beginnings of um the uh, Miles Morales in the Ultimate Comics, which I've read before, but I just wanted to refresh. And his dad is just so much better in this movie than he is in there. Oh, really? Um, yeah. I mean, his dad isn't necessarily like bad, but he just feels like more of like a character and there's more of that closeness there. And he's just more wholesome. Like one of the times like I've realized I love this movie was like very early on um, when he's dropping him off at school and he like goes over the megaphone and says, say, I love you, dad. Yeah, you better tell um, me you love me. Uh, I, I just like died laughing when I first saw that. And like, even like my wife who doesn't care about Marvel or Spider-Man, like thought that was hilarious. And yeah, so it's like, that's like something like, oh, this movie is like, this movie is well, legit. The thing I think the movie did is that and spoilers. If you didn't know, we're going to, oh, gonna spoil good it. call. Yeah. We're going to spoil it a lot about this movie, but I really love the fact that they killed Spider-Man in the first 30 minutes of the movie, right? It's just wild, right? And then Very bold. Yeah, very bold. And just following that up immediately by introducing, oh, here's another Spider-Man, Peter B. Parker, and his completely different origin story and complete different personality. That was like, I remember seeing the theater and just going, what? What is going on? This is wild. This is what happens? Yeah, and having that motif going through the movie of like introducing each of the different Spider characters and like, uh, the personalities and the background is like I, something I just love throughout the movie. Yeah. How did you feel about Chris Pine Spider Man? I thought it was good. Yeah. I mean, I, I thought I lo- he was I, great. Yeah. I thought like I love the idea of like the ultimate heroic Spider Man, like the, the ideal Spider Man. You know what I mean? 
Right. Like he shows up and he's doing this thing. I love that one his his first line is like, you can't open up a black hole here. It's not zoned for that. Like it's very Spider-Man. Yeah. <laughs> but then he sees this kid and immediately in the middle of the thing, he's like, Oh, you're like me. I'm going to train you, but I gotta take care of this real quick. Yeah. Like, and I, I love the aged Spider-Man. It's another reason why I like the Spider-Man video game, because that Peter Parker is like, I think also around that age. I think he's a little bit younger, but it's like an experienced Spider-Man who has this history, um, which I think is really cool. So do you guys care if I bullet point real qu- Just like, I'm going to go through these, like all the things I loved about this. Yeah, and you can bullet can heart so- real quick. We can stop. We can stop off on each one after the fact. So there's a couple things I like um, that I really, really liked. Um, one, I like how uh, Spider-Man, uh, Jake Johnson, Spider-Man, uh, Peter B. Parker um, was kind of against uh, training Miles. And then when they're swinging through the woods and he's like <laughs> yeah. teaching them like uh, wrist and flip or whatever, yeah. like quick wrist and flip and uh, let go and release. And it's just like, ah, oh, it's like. Seeing Spider-Man with uh, like a role model um, between his dad and Peter B. Parker, uh, it's something he uh, growing up like he's always like sought out uh, after his uncle Ben passed away was like a father figure or a role model to have, um, and that was actually a big thing uh, in the MCU movies with Iron Man. Um, so seeing uh, Peter B. Parker, like I think it's just like so so part of the character to take on that role. Mm-hmm. Um, so I really love that. Um, I, uh, loved, uh, how different, uh, how surprising some of the villains were like when they gender bent, uh, Doc Ock. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, th- I thought that was a great twist. Um, something because you don't expect it cause you grow up knowing Doc Ock as a male and, um, to make a woman Doc Ock was so, was so fun. Or the reveal of like Green Goblin is just like this gigantic monster, right? Yeah, monster, yes. like the ultimate uh, yeah. comics Green Goblin. Yeah, like when I saw that, when I saw that, because I did, wasn't familiar with the ultimate comics, I was like, that's Green Goblin? What the heck? <laughs> um, so I thought that was really fun. Um, and then the last thing I wanted to touch on was like, so we see all the different Spider-Man's like origin stories. They go over it really quick one last time, right? Um, and they're all different, but they're all kind of the same, right? Mm -hmm. They all have, uh, kind of a death in the family, um, or a death to a friend. They all get these powers. They don't want them, but they quickly realize that, uh, they didn't choose the powers, but they chose to be Spider-Man. Um, and I just think that speaks to everyone that has taken on that mantle as a person, um, that each one of these, uh, in every universe kind of ends up being uh, a good person with these powers. Um, and that's just something I really enjoyed about how the movie structured these introductions, these origin stories like, Oh, these are all different Spider-Man, but they share such so much commonality with each other as well. And you kind of see like Peter B. Parker go through that again, because similar to, um, to no way home with Andrew Garfield's character, we sort of are given this broken Spider-Man who grows alongside the others. So um, he ran away from Mary Jane because of the responsibility of kids, the expectations. And then through his time with, um, with Miles, that responsibility is thrust upon him and it grows him to the point to where he's willing to go back and to be 
not just the Spider-Man that he's supposed to be, but the Peter Parker that he's supposed to be. So we spoke on a, a little bit of the villains here. So one thing I wanted to point out is like, I think a struggle that superhero movies have gone, uh, gone through in the past, um, starting way back when before the MCU was either villains aren't fleshed out enough or uh, there are too many villains. And this movie has a lot of villains. So it has Kingpin, it has Green Goblin, it has Doc Ock. I'm sure I'm forgetting some even. Uh, Scorpion, Prowler. Oh, Prowler, yep, obviously. Um, And when I'm watching the movie, I didn't really feel that struggle that other uh, superhero movies or Marvel movies have with their villains when they try to put too many into it. Um, what do you guys think about the villains as a whole? I mean, some of them were just props, like Green Goblin and Scorpion. So it's like they weren't ne- they didn't necessarily add or detract by not being developed. I think the main one is the like you know we we had Kingpin. We know he's big. He's portrayed as a mountain, and we know his motivation. And so he doesn't really have an arc, but like, I don't really feel like he necessarily needs to because it's more character driven than it is like driven by the villains, I guess. Maybe that's like, maybe you're right. Like they, a lot of them are used as props or side characters, but that's always times like in the past where I've been like, did they just waste this villain? Like we got, uh, the, the wasted scorpion, um, and homecoming, uh, and we never got any payoff on that or, uh, this villain was in it for five minutes. Like I, I wanted him to have a whole movie. Um, they wasted Venom in like Spider-Man three. Like he could have been super <laughs> cool, and they still haven't figured that out, in my opinion. So it's just it's fascinating to me that this movie, uh, is kind of doing a lot. Like the multiverse is a big concept. Uh, it introduces a ton of different Spider-Man. It introduces a ton of different villains, and you never feel shorted, right? Um, on any of them. And I think like. What's great too is like there's just like this endless possibilities of like they can go anywhere with these villains, right? Like they can make a kingpin that is uh not malevolent or not brutal and just more maybe just more I don't know, uh sly and sly in that they're how they're sadistic, right? There's just so many different ways they can approach it. And I mean, I think that's a concept of the upcoming movie, but yeah. I I just love the different the different takes on it and just because like these are familiar characters, if you kind of know the comics, and it, I think it just it was so easy to just kind of follow in and slot into where they were going with the characters, you know. So I think one thing that I actually really like about Kingpin as the villain is I think what makes a good villain is that if you can kind of if you can almost uh, sympathize with mm-hmm. them, right? Yeah. So Kingpin lost his um, his son and his wife. Um, and anybody who goes through that obviously is devastated and like you would do literally anything to get them back. Right. So like you can't even fault Kingpin for what he's trying to do. And I think even like the Spider-Man to some level probably think that like, oh, I get why he's doing this, but this just isn't right. Um, cause it's ruining so many other, other lives. Um, but I think that's when a villain's done right. That's like why Thanos was so appealing to everybody is like, you kind of understood like a lot of people understood what what he was doing his motive was clear um and it wasn't like just service level so right it wasn't i want to take over the world because that's what bad people do yeah it's so lazy yeah something that you guys have both touched on um is like the the villains um and like how the multiverse opens up different things and how like doc ock was able to be surprising um as live 
And it makes me think of, once again, the Spider-Man video game, how like they try to set up this Doc Ock twist because they give you Dr. Octavius at the beginning and like his slow descent into a villain. But like the entire game, you're like, that's Dr. Otto Octavius. He's making octopus arms. I I know I know what we're doing here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but this multiverse concept subtle. gives you a chance to be surprised <laughs> with a character that you're very familiar with. And as soon as she says the last name is Octavius, you're like, "Oh, okay, I know what's going on here." It lets them take risks and just do things that are subvert your expectations. I mean, we we you know you talked about like with the death of like the Peter Parker in the beginning, like I think just I think it's one thing that's really exciting about the movie is like if they're willing to do that, like what else are they willing to do? You know? Right. They might do something crazy, like make Spider-Man blonde <laughs> or a pig or a yeah. pig, which all the Spider-Man are so great. John Mulaney I as Spider-Ham is so hilarious. <laughs> when, I, when I saw it in theaters, that was like, this like, did I like Spider-Ham? But as, as time has gone on, I I do like Spider-Ham, but... He, he's uh, a I, very subtle background character that just adds a perfect little comedy moments to me. <laughs> and it's just so ridiculous. It just, like, speaks to the how, like, ridiculous the multiverse is, um, yeah. right? It's, it's, the fact that that can even exist is what makes it fun. Uh, similar to, like, why I liked MODOK and Quantumania is because it's mm-hmm. just so ridiculous. And that I, I personally think they pulled it off uh, because it's so it's so fun, but... I, I love those little like those little nods to the goofiness of it all. Yeah, like when everyone's asking him like what kind of powers he can do, and then Spider Ham just like, "Can you start floating if you smell some pie?" Like it kills me every time. <laughs> that was a very good Mulaney. <laughs> by the way. Um, okay, so there are two more things I wanted to touch on, uh, and first is uh, something that Kenny you brought up to us in our in our side chat. So I, I want you to start off. Um, and that's the animation and the stylization of the movie. The fact that it's an animated movie, they can do so much more, right? And I think like they they can be so much more expressive and and kind of flex in different ways that like you couldn't do like in a live action movie. So like I think of the scene where Miles meets Peter B. Parker in the graveyard, and he just like flips him and just like basically takes him on a chase through a New York City traffic, and he just gets beat beat to death right beat near to death and just like there are comedic aspects to that and physical comedy aspects to that that you cannot do like in a live action movie but they just pull off so well with like the expressions on the characters and just like the overall like feel and motion of the scene right makes me wish that like marvel would do more stuff like this like kind of take the time to put into take these comics and uh these comic book ideas and interpret them into like a movie, but that is more animated, right? We are getting X-Men 97 and freshman year Spider-Man. So it's like they, they will venture into animation, at least in the shows. But I want something with this budget. Yes. Yes, exactly. That's fair. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, so we, we got like the what if TV shows, but like those were felt static and a bit like, I don't know. Yeah. And robotic, the animation right? was weird. I I was against the animation in What If for a while, but I think I've turned on to it. I think if it was like traditionally animated instead of the weird like CG, that it would have been much better. Yeah, but I mean, like I think like this is the this movie Spider Verse. They're okay with leaning into like the almost like comedic aspects of it, like yeah, and bringing in with the more comic booky aspects of it, just like uh, just like these big bold scenes that like. In the panels, like the, I love yeah. the words across the sky yes. and stuff like that. 
Yeah. Right. And I, I feel, I feel like that, um, is like, it's, it's not just like a great superhero movie. It's like the perfect comic book yes, movie. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. It is very comic booky. Yeah. For sure. It is the most comic booky comic book movie. Yeah. Yeah. Like so far that like, I, it makes me think like, you know, Marvel MC movies are just like movies about the characters and taking the plots, but like it's, if you separate it out from that, this has so little to do with the comics. Well, this is just so integrated with like the feel of a comic book. Well, that's what I really liked about Miss Marvel though, you know, um, mm-hmm. is that they kind of, they kind of leaned into that and did like the, the, the words on the screen and, uh, kind of like more like a comic book panel, uh, stylization. Um, uh, that was my favorite part of that show. Yeah. I feel um, like they didn't lean into that as much as they could, as it went on, like, especially in the first episode, no there was a lot and it felt very like Edgar Wright esque. Yes, agreed. Um, and I then it, it be just Scott kind Pilgrim. of felt more bland as it went on. Yeah, I, I agree. They they really leaned into it the first episode. It hooked me. I was obsessed with the first episode. And then I struggled. I didn't struggle. Like, the next few were not my favorite. Then episode five was the, um, the per- partition episode, which was awesome. And then the finale, like, kind of went back to it. Um, mm-hmm. So I just, yeah, you're right. I do wish they would have leaned into it a little bit more and made it, like, really Edgar Wrighty, but... So I do like I I think that this is going to be one of the most influential movies in modern animation. So I'm going to describe a movie to you and I want you to tell me what you think it is. It's a movie with stylized animation that skips frames that deals with the subject of death, purpose and family, which culminates in multiple people fighting in a spectacle climax with lots of purples and blues that involves a thick boy in a suit with a tiny head. Also, the movie features the voice acting of comedian John Mulaney. Does that sound like Into the Spider-Verse? It does. Because it's actually Puss in Boots, The Last Wish. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Fair. Yeah, that is true. They do actually share a lot of visual similarities, yeah. Yeah. 100%. And I've, th- this movie came out in, what, 2018? So I feel like we're just now getting to the point where like you can see the influences of people seeing that movie and what that movie did and like trying to emulate it and doing that same kind of thing, you know? Yeah. The anim- the ma- animation is just so fun. Like that's all I can uh, really think about it is like, it's just so Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse for lack and, of a better it word. It also like- blows my mind that the, the previous year, Sony, the same studio put out the emoji movie, <laughs> one of the most garbage things ever made. And then after that, they made this masterpiece. Uh, written by Mike White, who uh, also wrote School of Rock, and the HBO hit White Lotus. Wow. Wrote the Emoji movie. What range? Interesting. But yeah, the, what, that, what range, for the, sure. The, the difference here is that Chris Miller and Phil Lord do not miss. They made Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs. Uh, the next one wasn't animated, but they did 21 Jump Street. They Good made movie. the Lego movie and Great they did Spider Verse, and I think it just shows what happens like when you give to people like creative freedom, and there's a strong vision, a strong aesthetic, and you let them commit to it. Yeah, I think that says a lot about it because, like, I do think what I heard was that Sony uh, was very hands off because, like, uh, animated movie, they're like, we really don't care, like, do whatever you want. And so, like, when Sony puts their hand into the pot, we get um, Spider-Man Amazing 3. Spider-Man 2. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Amazing Spider-Man 2. 
Yeah, that's true. I wonder what would be interesting to see how this one fares, the upcoming movie. Um, if they if they are giving them that creative freedom to do what they think is best. Yeah. Hopefully. Also, fun fact, Chris Miller and Phil Lord are producers on Cocaine Bear. What? I don't Let's know go. what that means oh, as gosh. producers. Like, I don't know if there's like some animated segments that they do, because I'm not quite sure what a producer would do in that role or what they would add to it. But I just I, when I was looking up their uh, their their filmography, I was like, wait, wait. All right. Last thing I wanted to touch on, and this will be very quick. Um, the soundtrack is amazing. What's up, danger? Um, the it starts off with Sunflower by Post mm. Malone. And that song I, it just gets me so upbeat. Like I, I just love it so much. And it's been on repeat for me for four years. Are you for real? Yeah, dude, I love it so much. I play it all the time. And like my daughter also loves that song because of Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse. And she's like always she's always like play the Spider-Man song. And that is Sunflower. Um, So it's a song that's just like makes me so happy. But it's not just that one. Like the whole soundtrack throughout the whole movie uh, just really flows very well. Um, It makes sense with the scenes and it really gives you like a really a feel for Miles Morales as a character. Um, and the music he'd be listening to. Um, so I really enjoyed that. Yeah. And like, I think it leans into like almost like kind of getting out of like the, you know, the pop hits, right. But like, it kind of leans mm-hmm. into the actual soundtrack leans into like a while, like aggressive, like almost like electric music, like in terms of right. like when like things mm-hmm. are really getting pumped up. And I thought, I thought that really worked when it comp- with the visuals too, just because like, just like how scattered and just like bold and bacon can get. Like, I thought like it was a really good pairing between the two. Right, because yeah, totally like the song that plays during his big leap of faith, "What's Up, Danger," isn't necessarily like a heroic song you'd hear normally, mm-hmm. but it has like that gritty feel of like, like the architecture of the area and like the aesthetic that has been you know those purples and that like graffiti esque stuff that um is so so prevalent in the movie, and it's just perfect for like what's happening. All right, let's get into some Marvel games. Um. So for a long, long time, all we had for our Marvel game was uh, Marvel Legendary or Legendary Marvel. <laughs> Legendary Bud. <laughs> Leg- we had Legendary Bud Marvel Edition. Um, and you also had like Hero Clicks. And I think um, there was some dice game. I forget. Dice. dice ba- some dice battling. Dice Masters. Yeah. Um, and over the past uh, three years, uh, we have had an influx of Marvel games. We have That's true. Marvel. Marvel United, which has 40 boxes of uh, Marvel Unmatched, Marvel Dice Throne, Love Letter Infinity Gauntlet, Marvel Zombies, Marvel Champions, and there's Marvel Splendor. I forgot about that one when I was typing up the list. Um, There's like Infinity Gauntlet. There's Hail Hydra. Hail Hydra, yeah. uh, Isn't there a Wakanda-themed one? It might just be called Wakanda Forever. There is. Um, There's also uh, Thanos Rising. Yeah, Um, that's what I meant. I said Infinity Gauntlet, but I meant Thanos Rising. So... Uh, we are not deprived of Marvel theme uh, games, and yet Crisis every protocol. time, every time one comes out, I want it. Um, yeah. And I've it's gotten to the point now, though, where it's just like I I called Legendary Marvel because I had Marvel Champions, and right. I was like, I don't need two Marvel card games. Um, I called my Marvel United because like there's there was just so much of it, and I played it once in the year that I owned all the X-Men stuff. And while I enjoyed painting it, like it was just too much stuff. And I just think it was like too light of a cooperative game 
for me. And this is me after complaining about how difficult cooperative games were me <laughs> an hour ago. So I am nothing if not a hypocrite. I will say like Marvel Unmatched, like I'm into it. Like I will get every Marvel set for Unmatched. Marvel Dice Throne, I love. I will get that. Um, Marvel Zombies, I backed. So like, what do you guys think about like all these Marvel games? Do you think there are too many? And are you still excited when a Marvel game is announced? Yes. Um, so, <laughs> so, so for me, like, I, I think Marvel's probably like the first, probably the first or second board game I ever bought was Marvel Legendary. And I bought it because of Marvel. Right. And I think like Hero Clicks, he mentioned a bit earlier, that was actually probably like my first real in- entry into like, you know, tabletop games. Um, so like the Marvel and just superhero stuff has always just been like such a huge draw for me. So like, even to this day, I'm super excited, uh, for whatever, like basically all those games you listed off, I have either tried out or purchased, you know, like even Marvel Crisis Protocol. I, I bought way too much of that, but you know, here we are, you know, um, yeah, we, it's, it's we just, are who we are, Kenny. It's yeah, okay. Yeah. You know, um, but yeah, it's, it's still just a huge draw for me. Like I just like be able to like, cause I love these Marvel characters and be able to kind of experience them in these games and kind of seeing like how they handle the thematics and stuff. is like it's stuff that I find really um, enticing. So. Right. Uh, I, I definitely agree. And like Marvel has been like, I've always loved it more than DC. Um, I mean, no disrespect to DC, but just in I'll general. I'll disrespect DC. You guys suck. <laughs> it's been, it's been something that's been a whole lot more closer to me. So I, I see these things and like, um, getting to experience them thematically and whatnot. Marvel champions. I've, I wanted for literal years. Like it was like, when I get back from Japan, this is the thing that I'm going to get. And I've dived headfirst into it. Marvel <laughs> Legendary was also a gateway game uh, for me. Uh, I think I watched uh, Will Wheaton's tabletop video on it. And then yeah. after that, um, me and my college friends got into it. And we got out of it right when I bought the Spider-Man expansion. And I was like, dang it. Uh, (laughs) i got out of marvel legendary when because i had like a hobby lobby case where it's just like the wooden case it's just like you Mm -hmm. can i got to the point like i could not fit anything more into it and like i think i think i'm done this is yeah you can't go past it's like i I think they're still making expansions for that game it's wild they are still yeah yeah oh wow so many I just, I like thinking back on it. Like, I don't like that it's both cooperative and competitive that you have to like sort of compete yeah. for like the victory points. I it feel doesn't like that work. part's kind of, yeah. I think if you just ignore that and try to like do it like completely cooperatively, that it's a lot better of an experience. I always did the same. I didn't, I always ignored the uh, semi co op aspect. Yeah. Yep. But I, I, I definitely like I would I would play it, but I know it was one of those things that was always a hassle to like figure out what you're going to play. And I know it had like a you could get like a randomizer website and be like, OK, we got this, this, this and this. Yeah, I had an app for it and it was actually really cool. I almost wish Marvel Champions had an app very similar to that because like you could just say like how many players you had and then it would be like, all right, here are the five heroes you're playing with and here's the villain and here's the scheme. And like it's like sweet. Not There's almost definitely it. something that someone's made. Like I'm sure you could find it. For Marvel Champions. Like, maybe not an app, but, like, a website. Yeah. I don't know if, like, Marvel Marvel CDB, uh, which stands for Champion Database. Um, I thought that like, was that, like, weed oil. <laughs> yeah, so there, prob- there probably is. I, I feel like I've searched for it before, and there wasn't at the time, but uh, Marvel Champions is pretty popular now. So, um, I know Marvel... I won't 
to touch on Marvel Champions the most. Do you guys want to talk about any other Marvel games like United or the Dice Thrones before we get into just talking about Champions? So I've played Dice Throne a grand total of once, but I was I just I wasn't into it. And it wasn't like the Marvel aspect of it, but I just I don't know. I just it didn't it didn't do it for me. I, I quite like Dice Throne. I like the Marvel one. Um I think the thematics just don't hit as much for it just because like it is just like this it, it, everything is much more abstract within Dice Throne just because like, oh, I, I hit this dice combo and now I'm gonna do a huge Thor Ragnarok blast on you. And it doesn't really translate as much as it would um, in some other games, but I mean, I still like that. I've only played it at two. Is it better at different player counts? No, it's you worse. have played it at two. Yeah. Okay. Um, I will say like, yeah, M- Marvel dice are like each character individually. You can, you can kind of think it feels like that character, right? Like Loki is very annoying to play um, because of his like tricks. And Scarlet Witch is, like, very chaotic and, like, switches stuff up. Like, so there are, like, thematic feels with the characters, but, like, it does pretty much... That game comes down to, like, if you don't like the Dice Throne system, Marvel Dice Throne is not going to change your so opinion. I'd, I'd be curious to hear what Jash has to say, think about Marvel United, because we actually played it just the other day. Um, we played, actually, the Sinister Sticks uh, scenario. Um, what do you think of it, Jash? I just I I think this is another aspect of I don't know if it quite does it for me um cuz I just I don't think it's quite thematic enough. Mm-hmm. I don't feel like if I played somewhat cuz I I played Venom and I don't feel like it would feel very different if I um played as someone else. And coming off of Marvel Champions which I play often like every hero feels different. You're doing different things they have different like goals they want to do in their deck so i just i don't know i don't know if it it was quite what i wanted yeah i think like the theme like or just the different difference in characters doesn't always hit right so i I, I can definitely feel that um i I was just gonna say like i think there are other aspects of the game just like the scenario structure or the location structure the locations themselves can be add quite a bit too but i can definitely feel like how the characters can kind of feel samey granted we only play this the sinister six scenario so i haven't even played like the base game or what most of it's like so if i played that it might change it i know tom vassal from the dice tower who has played he played a lot of marvel united says like it does feel like none of these characters feel unique at first but like once you play them over and over and over again and you like go through every character you can start to to feel it um, I don't know if I necessarily buy it. Um, like, yeah, yeah, the Hulk has more fist on his cards, um, and all of that, but, uh, I don't think United is a, a bad game by any means. I think it's, uh, a clever light system, and I think there's plenty of room for a, a game like that. Um, and I will say that if this same game system came out and it was not Marvel themed, it would not be nearly as uh hot, hot as it is um and that includes if it was another ip like i think if it was um dc or like harry potter oh harry potter actually might hit um <laughs> but like i think if it was a another like theme or if it was like generic fantasy or anything like that i just don't know if it would have the appeal that marvel united has um and that just really speaks to the popularity of the ip that's that's pretty much my thought on it i do think it's a good game 
Um, I don't know if there needs to be 600 boxes of it, but I do appreciate that they're doing that. They, that they did do that. They put out every character that they could think of, um, which is cool. Well, I think like for me, I think the thing I like really like about Marvel Knight is that it's like, it takes like a cooperative game, makes it very light. It makes it very approachable. And like for me, I just a game I look forward to playing with my daughter, and you know, probably in a couple of years. Like, yeah, that's it's just fair. it's like very light, very easy, like very quick to play. And like you know, for, I think it might be a good way for me to like introduce her. Like, hey, these are all these Marvel characters. Like, here is uh, here's Modok. You know, you know what I mean. <laughs> <laughs> and if you're playing Kinney's set, they're all very beautifully painted. Yeah, Kinney is a phenomenal painter. Thank you. Thank you. Um, there's there's one thing to be said. So like, this is like we've mentioned uh, numerous times is that it's like, it's kind of light. It's very easy to get into. Uh, the rules are easy to teach. Um, it's not necessarily easy to pull out though. Um, I, I do wish there was some type of organization system where I could pick a character, get their cards, get the villains. Like, but if you want to have any variability at all, you're, you're pulling out multiple boxes. Um, you're shift swifting through all the different like minis. Um, you're trying to find their deck of cards. Um, you, you gotta get the tokens out, put them on the table. Like it, it sounds like a little, but like once you have all of that, it does become a little cumbersome to get the game out of the table. Uh, in my opinion, at least. Yeah. I think that's just the Kickstarter bloat of, you know, having everything just that can always just make everything worse. Right. I th- like, uh, for my list setup, I basically just have all the cards out and I kind of have my minis displayed separately. So it's not that hard to get to the table like when i brought it over to for game night the other day it was pretty easy to pretty easy and quick to set up but like when you are dealing with like these multiple boxes and like this is here and this is there it just if it can become an absolute pain yeah i can feel that uh but speaking on the the it is kickstarter bloat but like to be fair to all the stuff they've released um if you just had the base box of marvel united i think you get two or three plays out of it and then you're probably done yeah. Um, so you do need that variability, uh, in the characters and the villains and all that stuff. So yeah, agreed. at least it makes sense to have all that stuff. Okay. Let's, uh, let's get into Marvel champions, which is let's the bell of the ball. Um, <laughs> so Marvel champions is in my top five games of all time. Uh, for sure. Um, I don't know where it stands for you guys. Um, do you guys know off the top of your head where it would stand? I it, know you guys like it a lot. It would be somewhere between 15 and 20 for me. Okay, so Kenny hates it. Josh? <laughs> I I feel like it's definitely the game I've spent the most amount of time on. Um, I've, I've got so many plays out of it since being back, and I love it, and I'm fully invested. I don't know where I would rank it as far as numbers. I would need to, like... It, it was my number one when I ranked them uh, when we first when I first got back, when I did that live stream with Max. Not the 30-second one, but the other one. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I, I mentioned this the other day. I started playing Marvel Champions during the time when they, like, the biggest hiatus of infer- new information, the biggest drought of new information. And I am someone who loves hype. Whenever the new Super Smash Brothers games will be coming out, whenever there's a Nintendo Direct, I was like, oh, I hope there's a trailer. I want to know if Boobly Boo is going to be in this one. Um, so I'm like, I need information. I need to know what's coming. Even if it's something I wouldn't care about or buy, I just want to know what's coming next. But we have so much. <laughs> we have so much to play. Yeah. I know, and I'm still playing it. But, you know, I just want to know when they're going to add Star Fox from Eternals in. <laughs> 
What? When, when is Harry Styles going to be in here? Well, I think that's one of the great things about the LCG model that they have like for Marvel Champions and Arkham Horror is that there is always something to look forward to. Like This is a game that's ever-evolving, and there's just always going to be something new on the horizon to make it exciting. And I think that's just something, because I love LCGs, like Arkham Horror, LCG is my favorite game. And that's something I love about this, and that's something I love about Marvel Champions as well. It's just like, there's always something to look forward to, you know? And what I really like about the LCG model, so like, we've all spent quite a bit of money on Marvel Champions. Am I am I correct in that? Um, yeah, but too much money. When, you, when you're spending $15 a month, it does not feel like that. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I do appreciate uh, that about it. It's not like when you're backing Ankh on Kickstarter <laughs> and you're like, here's $350. Uh, no, it's like, hey, you spent $15 on this deck and then you spent $15 on another deck and then you bought the campaign for $30. Um, and then so over three years, you have spent that amount of money and you've played everything because you're piecemealing everything to get like you're taking everything and then you're playing it immediately instead of getting everything all at once. Right. Yeah, and, and like, I think, like, it'll be interesting to see, like, if they continue what the system they have now, like, where they're just, like, the blister packs, the releases, because um, I, I have to imagine that's hard from a supply chain side, like, how do you keep things supplied? Um, but I, I wonder if they'll oh, move right. to, uh, more, if they'll move to kind of, like, what they've, they've done with Harkham Horror, which is, like, here's a, here's a big box release that we're going to be releasing, like, twice a year or something like that. I don't know if I want them to do that, honestly. Like, yeah. I think I would prefer I do like getting the campaign boxes um, for the, for villains. Um, I could care less about the heroes in those campaign boxes. I would. I think if I could choose any model, they release a campaign box with just villains, and then they release the heroes uh, singularly, like they do. Um, so you're always you never get uh, you wouldn't never buy like Green Goblin or Kang like in the singular pack they are now. They would just be in a campaign box. I think that makes the most sense personally. And I think it works for this because nothing is like dependent on each other. Like, especially you can just buy a hero pack and you don't really need anything else to play. Right. You just need the core box. So, um, I think Arkham Horror ran into issues where it's just like, Oh, I, I have scenario five, but I need these other ones to play the game. And that just becomes like a logistical mess for both the player. And I'm sure for fantasy flight. So when you guys are playing, do you prefer, uh, variability in the villains you're playing or the heroes you're playing as? I'd, I'd say probably the villains because um, you you play the heroes and you're like, okay, I really like the way that this one plays. Like, I typically use, I use Venom a lot. Um, so I've gone against him um, and now I've recently started mixing in mod- different modules um, with the villains for the variability in that way and trying to use the same stuff against different things. Yeah. And I think like, I think a game like this, just to go with the, all the complexity that comes with like doing each of these like scenarios, it's like kind of sticking with the same deck for a bit is good to just figure out the, the quirks and all the rules interactions and stuff like that. So I, I do tend to find that I, I tend to have like a couple decks that, that these are my go-tos when I tackle like new scenarios or new different combinations of scenarios. I think that's what I like about doing um, the the campaign boxes um, more than the one offs is because you are like kind of like quote unquote forced yeah. to use the same hero for five scenarios. Um, because I am the type where 
uh, I like to try new stuff. So like if I play Ant-Man, like, okay, cool. I want to, I want to try Spider-Man now. I want to try Iron Man. Um, so I do like that the campaigns kind of force me to stick with a deck and like really learn them. But I do think I prefer getting new villains than new heroes. Like if I never bought another Marvel hero, uh, champions hero, I think I would be fine. Um, I wouldn't, but yeah, (laughs) but okay. I say that, but like, come on guys. We don't even have Deadpool yet, but I do not think I would be fine. Never getting another villain again. Um, and I just think that speaks to like how, like the cooperative nature of the game and that like, once you beat something, it's hard to like go back to it. Um, now, uh, to be, I have gone back to like face villains again. They're, they're still challenging. Even if you beat them, you either feel like you're lucky or you feel like you cheated. So <laughs> there are villains like that. Um, like, uh, the collector, uh, or Ronan. Um, but yeah, I, I'm with you guys. I would prefer to have a lot of villains um, than switching out the heroes. Um, so uh, as a whole, what makes Marvel champions like uh, something that sets, sets it apart for you in terms of a game that not only a game you enjoy, but like what sets it apart from other Marvel games for you? So one thing that I've always liked, I've always liked card games, but I don't necessarily like um, it's not deck building. Cause this game does have deck building, but like the chase of like having to get certain cards to make like certain decks. And I've also always liked the thematic thing where it's like, okay, these characters have decks based off them. So they're going to have these cards that do these effects that reminisce of them. So, um, I played a little bit of Sentinels of the multiverse, um, with some friends before. And I really liked that aspect of the pre-made decks that do the hero effects. So I like that. I like that each deck is thematic to the character. And even though you can mix and match some of the other things, you're always going to feel like Spider-Man because you have the webbed up card. You're always going to feel like Ant-Man because you can go from tiny to big um, every turn. The Ant-Man character is so freaking cool. Yeah, (laughs) I I use it for the first time this week and just flipping back and forth is so much fun. Yeah. I, that's something before, uh, sorry, Kenny, before you get into yours, like uh, just to touch on what Josh said. Yeah. That, that is something that really speaks to me, um, in the game is that like the characters feel so like the characters. Um, and it's just so fun to get into that world and like saying like, uh, like star Lord is like truly like a renegade. Right. And it's like, he doesn't care about how much danger he puts himself in as he, he's got one focus, uh, and that's to beat up the villain right so um i just love that every character feels like them but yeah go ahead kenny you know i was same thing for me the thematics really kind of rule the roost right but uh, another aspect that i really like about marvel champions is that it is out of all the lcgs i've played it is by far the easiest to get onto the table um like getting it set up and going is very very quick um, because he's basically grab um a villain deck some some side schemes and um grab your hero deck and you're off to the races right so for me that's made it just like uh, a solo game i can just like get on the table really quick and play a game um and s- compared to like some like lord of the rings the lcg or the arkham horror is just like those can be ni- nightmares to set up like marvel champions by comparison is just like a breeze so yeah there are times where like uh during uh the pandemic um like i would just have marvel champions set up on my table and like 
while I was like working from home, like I would just like stop working for and like play a play through a game of Marvel Champions in like fifteen or twenty minutes. Yeah. Like I was just like flying through them, and that's like that's really kind of when I fell in love with the game. Um, was playing it solo. Um, when that's like really the only like thing I could do. Mm-hmm. Um, and started diving into like all the different characters and and like knowing the rules like. No, I still don't think I know the rules a hundred percent even after 80 plays, but like knowing the rules well enough that I could just like fly through a game um, and still feel like I've made like really good decisions. And I, uh, the thematics were still there and I had like huge swingy moments speaking of Spider-Man and <laughs> it was just like, it, it just really like it built this joy in me um, that wasn't there necessarily when I first played it. But like, as I kept playing and playing and playing, I'm like, Oh my gosh, this is, there, this game is truly special. Yeah. Um, for all the reasons you guys touched on. Yeah. I remember. I think it was my first. It was either my first play or my first time I won. But it was Spider Man versus Rhino, and I had Black Cat and Daredevil both in play, and I was like, "This is this is everything I want it to be." <laughs> I was so excited, Josh, when you got into it and you bought the base box, and then like us three would just flood our table knots chat. Just like our, our <laughs> private group chat with just Marvel champion stuff. Yeah, just, uh, that just was used to buying more and more stuff. Yeah. Yeah. That was <laughs> yeah, we're like, Hey Josh, this is on sale. <laughs> <laughs> Every time I'm like, I just like sweats profusely. I'm like, I don't need it. I just I wanted do. you to experience so much more so we could talk about it together. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Cause it's just, it's a game that's so much, that, that is fun to talk about. Cause you can talk about these like, uh, these event moments that you have um and uh when you experience a character for this time and you're like how excited you were for like playing venom and you're like oh my gosh she's so awesome and uh th- it invokes emotion that other games haven't like I, we all talk about games and we can all talk about how fun games are but yeah like marvel champions is one that is just really fun to talk about even after playing it so much and and talking about it a lot let's be honest um it still still gets me revved up a little bit so speaking of all that, do we want to touch on specifically the Sinister Motives box? Yeah, let's get into that. Um, I will uh, start off by saying, like, I've only gotten through the first scenario of it. Um, so let's I want to hear your guys thoughts, because uh, I think you both have played through it, right? I've I've played through the whole thing. Yeah, I I've played through four out of the five missions. I'm actually on the last mission, so. All right, uh, Josh, why don't we start with you then? I hate Sandman. <laughs> Sandman is, is he's first, right? Yeah, I hate him. I took him down first try, sucker. Yeah, same. So, I mean, I did too. <laughs> I, I did yeah. not lose to him. But Sandman, this is a character that um, every time he hit you, he would mill his deck. And when their decks get milled, they get acceleration tokens, which puts more threat. Um, and um, by the end of the game, I'm pretty sure I had five acceleration tokens on him because he just kept milling his deck over and over and over again. And if you're not playing against him with someone who has a lot of minions to keep that um, environment in play to stop him from milling the deck, then it's just like an uphill battle. And it's a very sandy hill. <laughs> need ant-man for that yes I, I did i played him specifically with ant-man when i did ant-man for the first time i, I actually found that first scenario kind of the worst so far like the most forgettable um i i think like things really pick up with that the venom 
a mission. I, I really, really like that's that so one. That's so cool. Yeah. And then late, a bit later on, the Sinister Sticks uh, uh, mission is also very, just super cool. I think I really like the way they implemented it. Because um, I don't know if you play the Wrecking Crew uh, scenario. I, I played the Wrecking Crew. Yeah. This, so the Wrecking Crew, like, you basically have, like, all five or six of the Wrecking Crew members at once. And it becomes very overwhelming to play. Just Or just kind of pilot and just, like, rules govern, right? But with the Sinister mm-hmm. Six, this, you're basically just limited to, like, you're at most going to have one or two uh, villains on the board if you're playing per player. So, like, you're playing true solo, too. Um, and it just becomes like a fight to just keep one on the board to kind of keep the pace and make it a bit easier to go, uh, to keep going. Um, but yeah, I, I really like that scenario. You really got the thematic flair of each of the six villains, too, and just like how they just mess with you and your, your deck and your game plan and all that stuff. Where would you guys rank this? Um, among the other campaigns you've played? I think it's my favorite. I've only played the Red Skull other than this, so it's my favorite for sure. Yeah, I mean, it's got to be Red Skull, right? <laughs> a, little unfair to, a little unfair to Rise of Red Skull. It was their first attempt. Yeah, no, um, Red Skull isn't bad, but, I mean, this is a Spider-Man-themed one, yeah. and they have three under their belt at this point. So, Have you played them all, Kenny? Um, I haven't played them all through to completion, because um, I, I think, like, because I think like this one, I, I was just kind of able to blast through just because like Spider Man, right? It just it just became much more engaging to like see yeah. these characters and like the Guardian stuff and the the Thanos Rising one. It's just like yeah, you know, it's not as um, wasn't as engaging for me. Um, but I do do I, I do like the Red Skull box uh, with its sports and all. But um, for me, I haven't played the, the through the X Men box, the X Men box, the Mutant Genesis uh, campaign, but. Yeah, this one for me has just been the one that's just like really hooked me right away once I started playing it. So neither of you have played it yet, but Venom Goblin is the hardest scenario that I've ever done. Um, I haven't played Ronin, so that might change once I do Ronin, but Venom Goblin is brutal. Well, so that scares me um, (laughs) because Ronin is a B. Uh, He is very, very hard. And freaking Sabretooth. Oh my god. Yeah, I don't know how many times. Yeah. I don't know how many times I've played that scenario and I still haven't won. I, it's probably five or six. Um, and it's gotten to the point where I was playing through. I tried to play through the campaign with Cyclops. And I just decided like I can't. I cannot win with him. So like I started <laughs> over with a new. I think I started over with Colossus. Yeah. There, there are some difficult villains out there. Yeah. I only, I only tried the. Um. I mean, the first, the Sabretooth mission once, but it's like, oh, this is, this is not forgiving. Um, <laughs> this is mean. Yeah, this is very mean. One thing that I love about the, um, the, this box is they add the module that's just the Sinister Six villains. You could throw them into anything. Oh, um, that's cool. And Sandman, one of his modules has Rhino. So you could do like, Green Goblin as the villain, do the Sinister Six module, the module with Rhino, and then the module with Tombstone, and have just like <laughs> nine, ten Spider-Man villains in one thing. And I think that would be so much fun. Yeah, fun's a word for it. Um, <laughs> that seems like it would be very hard. Uh, Josh, have you ever seen uh, that TikTok or the Instagram reel where there's like uh, Anakin Skywalker talking to Spider-Man? And Spider-Man says, uh, yeah, I, there, I find a lot of villains. There's like, uh, there's Sandman. And then Anakin Walker says, 
there's a sand man <laughs> because I feel like that's you with the uh, Sandman. <laughs> yes, absolutely. I hate Sandman. He's coarse, rough, irritating, and he gets everywhere. Uh, all right. Do you guys have anything else to say about Marvel champions or Marvel games as a whole? So I think it would be cool to um, to ask what hero and villain would you most like to see come to Marvel Champions? I mean, okay, so much. There's so many. Uh, I'm going to steal Kenny's right from underneath him. Don't you? Oh, don't, and how don't, do we don't not do have it. a? Don't how say, do don't. we not have a daredevil? Yeah, hero. That's my answer. No, I'll give it. I'll give it to Kenny. I'm going to say Moon Knight. Um, I. Uh, Moon Knight is a character that I was not super familiar with until the TV show, um, but hit the the take on mental health um, and that character in general has just really like I became engaged um, with him through the show. And the show wasn't perfect um, by any means, but it's one I still really enjoyed. And like since then, I've really looked into the character as a whole, and so. I just really enjoy Moon Knight, and I think Marvel Champions could make a really, really cool Moon Knight deck where you're switching through all of his different personalities. Ooh, yeah. um, that would be very fun. Oh, wow. Yeah, that would be sick. Um, what about Villain? I don't know. Modok? Uh, like a like, like just a soul Modok instead of just his module? Um, what villain do I want? Because we already got we already got Kang, who is pretty fun to fight. What do you? What about you? Uh, while I look some stuff up, Josh, what uh, hero do you want to see? Okay, so this is going to come as a shocker, um, but it's not shocker. Uh, <laughs> probably. I mean, I love anything Spider-Man related. So, uh, give me an Eddie Brock Venom. Ooh, okay. Because yeah. I mean, you could already have him as an ally, so it's not like they're above having him as an a good esque character. And he's a very good ally in the game too. He's yeah. one of the most stronger ones I've played. So I think I would like that. Uh villain, maybe Big Wheel. You guys know Big Wheel, the Spider-Man villain? I don't know Big oh, Wheel. Yeah, I think you share this for. Yeah. He's it's just yeah. a guy in a big wheel. That's not actually who <laughs> I would want. Um, you know, I I asked I thought to ask this question, but I did not think to think of who I would want as my big villain. Okay, I, I have a couple. Okay, go ahead, Kenny. I would say big villain. I would love to see like the Fantastic Four, um, sweet oh, villains yeah. brought out. Like, I mean, Doctor Doom would be amazing. Yeah, like mm. a big box uh, uh, for Galactus would also be amazing. Oh um, yeah, Galactus. And, I mean, I'd love to see just like the Fantastic Four characters brought in as well, which I imagine probably within the next couple of years as like yeah. it gets rolled out in the MCU. Probably when the movie comes out. Yeah. Um. But yeah, those. Yeah. Aside from Daredevil, those that'd be probably my next pick. But I also want all the X Men too. So I mean, yeah, what X Men do we have so far? Uh, Wolverine, Rogue, Gambit, Cyclops, Cyclops Storm, Phoenix. Uh, Colossus and Kitty Pride. Yeah. Okay. I need I need Iceman and Nightcrawler. This or Nightcrawler would top be the top of my list. Um, yeah. I wouldn't mind for other villains. Um, I got I got found a couple that 
piqued my interest. Um, how about uh, a Scarlet Witch villain? Oh yeah, for sure. Uh, give it uh, Agatha. So I <laughs> no, I mean like Scarlet Witch as the villain, like in Multiverse of Madness. Oh, yeah. um, okay. I, I the besides Spider Man, Scarlet Witch is truly my favorite character. Um, she is awesome in the movies, and I love that she got a villain story. Um, so I, I wouldn't mind seeing her as a villain deck. And do we have a Killmonger yet? He's a nemesis. He's a nemesis. It. Yeah, I wouldn't mind seeing a, a big uh, a actual villain deck for him. Yeah, same for like Zemo. I feel like he, I think he deserves one as well. What about like Gore? Gore, oh my gosh. Oh yeah. That'd be great. I think that would be good. I, w- I would love to see him take another pass at just some of these heroes too, like Thor and Hulk. Like these are like yeah, they need a new deck. They kind of lift, right? Um, give yep. give us ultimate versions of them. Yeah, I mean Marvel Champions, really good game. Yep. I think it's my favorite awesome. Marvel game. Um, Would as recommend. Well. And uh, to all those uh, MCU haters out there, you're not cool or unique, right? <laughs> yeah, but I love way you be, anyway. Way to be different. Yeah, that's true. I do love you anyway, and you like what you like. I'm just kidding around. Everybody can love whatever they want to love. Uh, this was that was more for uh, Jeff from Foster the Meeple and Max from Table Knots. Uh, haters, <laughs> our own flesh and blood. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. How dare he? he uh, you know, Max though, he plays so much Marvel Snap that I think he is being converted day by day. Yeah, I think he, we could convert him. He pretends. It's all pretend. It's all facade. <laughs> the only reason he hasn't watched the MCU is because he used to not watch movies at all. <laughs> he has yeah. so much to catch up yeah. on. And now he's in, Mr. Into Movies, and uh, he'll just, now he's like, I've, I'm too I'm too far. I'm too far removed. <laughs> Thank you for listening to Board Game Box Office. We appreciate you hanging out with us today. If you liked what you listened to, please be sure to subscribe and leave us a review on iTunes or Spotify. And if you know someone who you think would be into our brand of shenanigans, please let them know about the show. Um, also, join our Discord, uh, on, which should be in the show notes. And visit our YouTube channel, uh, youtube.com slash table knots. Um, and thanks for again for listening. Uh, say night night, Josh. Night night, Josh. <laughs>